There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome to the Tim McKernan Show from our HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com. I am fascinated by this edition because this is this is unlike any other one that we have done so far. And I was just saying to the Seamaster, I'm curious what the audience's reaction to this will be, which automatically then sets up me getting hate mail, which is fine because I'm doing it to myself. But I'm I'm legitimately curious on this um, because this was like a this was like an autobiographical thing in a sense for about the first third of it, and um, it was also for me kind of a I don't want to call it a bucket list thing by any means, but something that I needed to do and had to check it off, and I did it. It's just usually when you do it, you do it privately one on one. And not on a show, but going into this, I think we both, me and my guest, Steve Savard, uh, knew we were going to discuss this on the show. And so it became, uh, for those of you who listen to podcasts, I'm sure plenty of you listen to Mark Marin's show. And Mark Marin had this episode with Lorne Michaels, the creator and still the head of Saturday Night Live, uh, where something happened, I listened to the the interview, but it was a big thing for Mark Marin because I guess he had an audition for Saturday Night Live and he screwed it up or something like that. I don't know. But either way, he had had this quest, the white whale, as it's called in the podcast world, the guest you really want but haven't been able to get. So Lorne Michaels was his white whale where he sat down and was able to relive this whole audition with Lorne Michaels. Uh, and so... The way that this interview came to pass, Inside Baseball, for the three of you who care, but uh, is the Seamaster usually, either or me, but usually it's the Seamaster, I'd say 90% of the guests. Seamaster asks me, are you interested in having this person on? Are you interested in this person on? It's got to be incredibly frustrating for the Seamaster because most of the time I go, ah, probably not, ah, probably not, and yet he's grinding looking for, for, for guests. Uh, and he asked about Steve Savard, and he said, Steve Savard's coming in, um, on whatever the middle of April, and I'm like, really? And I said to the Seamaster, I said, "You tell the tell him that I was the person doing the interview." And he goes, "Yeah, he's totally cool." And I go, "Okay." And the Seamaster, you know, known me now for what four years, I guess, four or five years, and doesn't know the backstory of my exit from KMOV. I would imagine there is a large number of you listening to this who have been listening to me on the radio for a number of years or just found the podcast and don't even know about the radio, whatever, that had no idea, nor really should you care, but the point being that you had no idea, that I really started out in television. Uh, First job was Little Rock in uh, July 99. I started there, and then I was lucky enough to become a weekend anchor and reporter in St. Louis at KMOV in March of 2000, which was my dream job at the time. 
And so I was there for five years as weekend anchor slash weekday sports reporter with Steve Savard, who's now the news anchor and was the voice of the Rams, and with my co-host on the Ryan Kelly Morning After, Doug Vaughn. That was the sports department, along with two producers and an editor. And it was some of the funnest, which is saying something, because I've had some fun, uh, but some of the funnest times of my career, because the three of us, the on-air guys, and then the two producers and the editor, we would crack each other up. I mean, we'd laugh so hard. And that's how I knew how hilarious Doug was. But the way it ended was awkward, to say the least. And then the way I handled it after it ended was just horrible, just disgusting. And I guess disgusting is probably overstating it. I'm disgusted with myself. And that's because what happened was a bunch of people, nor should they know, but people, people couldn't believe somebody would leave a TV job for a radio job because the assumption from the public, I think still even to this day, is that if you're on TV, you're making more money, and if you're on radio, you're making less money. And that's the case, I'm sure, most of the time. In my case, uh, that wasn't the case, and I liked doing radio much more than I was doing television. You're working nights, you're working weekends, you're working holidays as the number three guy on the depth chart. That's the way that it works. Totally get it, but it's not something that I really enjoyed anymore. So the dream job had become kind of a blah thing, and... Unfortunately, the way that I wound up leaving, I knew I was going to go upstairs to tell the general manager that I was going to quit, but I didn't want to tell anybody before that I was going to quit. And so in the newsroom, they thought I was going to be going live at six that night because when they came in to ask me, I said, okay, sure, no problem. You know, what a big deal. I'll go over to the Scott Trade Center, do a live shot. Uh, But I didn't want to say, hey, you might not want to have me because I'm going to go upstairs and quit because I didn't want it to get out. And... So I told this producer that I was, yeah, sure, I'll go live in the back of my mind. going, I'm not going live because I'm leaving. And so I think the combination of the public going, oh, he would never leave TV to just do radio. And then internally at KMOV from people who didn't know all the circumstances, them thinking I got fired, it drove me up the wall. If this were to happen in 2018, 13 years later, I, I, don't, I don't want to say I wouldn't care I certainly would care less. Let me put it that way. That's that I'm that I'm very confident. I still would try to correct the record, but I just didn't handle it well. And they had made an exception on my non-compete. Everybody has non-competes. At least most people do. And my non-compete was a year and it restricts you from all broadcast, not just TV. And so Alan Cohen, who would later recommend me for two jobs that I would accept. Well, I didn't accept one in Denver. I did accept one in New York. And then I wound up turning it down a couple weeks later. That really endeared me to my agent. Uh, but Alan recommended me for both of those jobs after I left KMOV, and we've had a great relationship. Uh, it's been 13 years. We still have a great relationship. Uh, I, I went up and I, you know, I left and was we were on great terms. And Alan Cohen said, if it's bothering you so much, I'll come on the radio show and tell people that you that you quit. I'll be happy to do it. And I, I, he either did or I decided, you know what, don't do this because I've, I've drugged this thing out too long. But because I had a non-compete and Alan allowed me to do radio, not TV in St. Louis, um, I didn't want to mess with the non-compete by talking out of school. And so I made this big deal out of a year later when the non-compete is up, I will say what happened is if anybody really cared. I mean, I'm telling you, I listen to the radio show. If you, if you think I'm an ass now, oh, my God, 13 years ago, I, if I hear little clips of the morning grind, I want to run out of the room. I'm just, a, I'm just a, like, oh, like just what? A, like I said that to my wife the other night. She goes, oh, yeah, I listened. And I, I wasn't a fan either. And I go, God, I don't blame you. It was terrible. I was just so awful. And so I wonder what I'll feel like in 13 years about this stuff now. 
Uh, I'd like to think I'm better, but who knows? Maybe it's maybe it's just progressively getting worse. I don't know. But the point is, I acted just just terribly for so many reasons, and I'm just like I I know what happened. And I'm just disappointed in myself. That's the bottom line. And why am I disappointed in myself? Because Steve and I went back and forth over email, which is something that I totally condemn in general. Like if you haven't have a conversation with somebody, either if you can't get face to face, at the very least, get on the phone. Not email. Such a passive aggressive thing. A number one. Uh, so I learned my lesson from that, which is why I'm a big, uh, you know, I condemn the long email thing when you can have a conversation. A number one. And then number two, I'm big on keeping things in the room. Now, if somebody's saying something publicly and they're saying something wrong and I'm not restricted by a contract or an insurance policy as I've been in the past, then it might be a different thing. But if somebody's just ripping me, I don't know. I'm just big on trying to keep things in the room. And so in both cases, I did the opposite. Now, I, I've learned these things since then. But the point is I look back on it and I go, oh, my God, it's just awful. So as it plays out for you, the listener, you're probably wanting to hear Steve Savard's opinions on his Rams experience, the Rams moving, uh, the switch from sports to news, similar to Mike Bush, uh, who we had in here a few months ago and was one of the most downloaded episodes we've had. And uh, his opinions on the state of St. Louis, St. Louis sports, all of those things. And we do cover them. But I walk in here and I hadn't had a conversation with Steve Savard for real. I know this might sound weird, but since I left in February of 2005. And so it plays out similarly to Mark Marin, Lauren Michaels, except it's on a local TV St. Louis scale as opposed to a New York City Saturday Night Live scale. Um so I, so I don't I don't know if people will be like, yeah, I, I, I couldn't care any less about this and I'm going to fast forward through it. And maybe you will. I don't know. But it's as honest as it can be because you're actually listening to us workshop this whole situation and we're doing it in the studio and we're doing it on the podcast. Um, and so it couldn't be any more genuine. It just happens to uh, be a conversation that you're all going to get to listen to, assuming you actually want to listen to. Um, and I'm, like I said, I'm curious how this is going to come off because I know many people listening had no idea that I did TV. And even now that you know, are like, yeah, I don't care. I have zero interest in it, which is totally fine. The point is it's the human dynamic, the interaction of somebody who I got a job at the age of 23 in St. Louis. It was my dream job. And he was a great guy. Uh, and, and, and we had a, you know, disagreement, so to speak at the end, but it wasn't like fighting disagreement. It was just a disagreement. And I just, I just was so immature with it. And um, like I said, it's one of my biggest regrets is the way I handled it. Um, and as you can hear, you'll hear from Steve, it's not like he was real worked up about it. And, but, but the point being, I had for years wanted to just get on the phone with him and just go, you know what, man, I know you're probably not even thinking about this. But I am so sorry just because I'm embarrassed by the way I acted and you didn't deserve it. So as it so happens, that phone conversation never took place. The conversation did take place. It happened to take place on the podcast, which I wasn't anticipating per se until the Seamaster said, hey, uh, you know, I've, uh, Steve Savard's coming in. I'm going, oh, OK, well, I guess we're going to have to have the conversation that I've wanted to have for a long time. And uh, I guess we'll talk about KMOV and we'll do that. So that's what we did. And I think that's how we spend the first 20 minutes or so. Uh, and it's a very honest conversation. So that's what you got coming your way. In addition to plenty of KMOV stories, some Doug Vaughn stories for certain. Uh, and uh, and also, of course, we get into the Rams. And uh, really something that I kind of thought was eye-opening and I didn't anticipate 
Uh, Steve, I don't know if he would necessarily say this. this These weren't his words, but certainly becoming more empathetic um, to, you know, St. Louisans, you know, who I have 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 had some, you know, uphill climbs uh, by becoming a news anchor because he's now more hip to uh, the plight of some St. Louisans throughout the region. And I thought that was a very interesting angle. And that's how we spent. So a lot of the civic conversations that I know some people like talking about with the unification of the city and county, we get into that kind of discussion at the end. We certainly get into the Rams leaving um, and uh, and some amusing stories from the KMOV Sports Department, which, for real, I say it in the course of the interview, but legitimately, I'm not saying this like to exaggerate how hard I laughed, I legitimately would piss myself at times because we were laughing so hard back there. Uh, so that, and when people, when we, when, when Martin left the show and then everybody knew we were going to hire a third person, and then it was Doug, and initially people are like, Doug Vaughn, the guy on KMOV? Really? You know, I mean, I, he's good, but... And I knew how funny he was because of my five years at KMOV. So that's how Doug wound up on the show. Jay Randolph Jr. always talks about that. Doug Vaughn, who knew? That's what he would always say. So, yeah, I knew and Savard knew because Doug would crack us up in the sports department. So there's the background on it. I always welcome your feedback. You can email me, T. McKernan, at InsideSTL.com. I always welcome you leaving reviews, preferably the positive ones. Hopefully you're enjoying all of these interviews on the show. Uh, and, uh, and this one is a, is a different one, although it does certainly encompass topics that I know people in St. Louis and in the region are certainly interested in, as well as this personal interaction. It's all brought to you by Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of our studios here on the program online at thehomeloanexpert.com. If you are in the market to buy a home, if you are in the market to refinance a home, please make sure you go to thehomeloanexpert.com and see how much money you can save just by clicking for a couple of minutes and finding out your payment can be lowered that much. Or if you've got a house that you've wanted to buy, now you can see what the payments are and you can do it all online. It's thehomeloanexpert.com. Five minutes can save you $500. Thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly and his staff. Customer service is phenomenal. It's Ryan Kelly and his staff at thehomeloanexpert.com. If you've enjoyed these interviews, please make sure you support our sponsors. Of course, the Home Loan Expert dot com, the sponsor of our studio. So here it is, me with Steve Savard here on the Tim McKernan Show. So yeah, it's been a while. 13 years. It's been a long time. 13 years. I was trying to do the math the other day. We were talking about uh, something consequential that happened with Channel 4, and I think it was about, uh, I think it was Ann Carroll. Somebody asked me when Ann Carroll worked there. I said that was right after Tim, so I was guessing that was probably about 04, 05. That's correct. Yeah. I left in February of 05. Wow. Man, yeah. time goes 13 by. years. Wow. So you got there in 2000, right? March 2000. Because I know you weren't there at the Super Bowl of Super Bowl 34 because your predecessor quit the night us. before. That became a legendary story. So I always have said without Ricky Prohl's catch, I'm probably still in Little Rock. Doing weekends. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> but you would have been from, you would have been somewhere else. But I think it worked out nicely. For oh you. my god! Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So in in February of '05, I leave, and the thing that bothered me forever, and I don't know when I got over it, but I got over it at some point. But it was really weird, and I handled it horribly. So I like I need to apologize to you. I've wanted to apologize to you for I guess 13 years because I handled it horribly. For real, I did. And so when the Seamaster said, we're going to have Steve Savard, I go, God, I haven't talked to Steve like in 13 years, even though I wasn't like, I knew you're a great guy, but I just feel like I handled it so poorly, a variety of different reasons. Um, But I was irritated thinking that 
one thing was going to happen. Right. And it didn't wind up happening. And so I quit because I was making, fortunately, more money doing radio. Right. And it's, that's, that's, that's a separate thing. But then for a year, because people, I think at KMOV and then in general, nobody could fathom that somebody was making more money doing radio, that they would leave TV to do radio. And because I just one day up and left at KMOV, right. the assumption was that I had gotten fired. And so that really pissed me off. Not because anybody was saying it; it was just assumed. Uh, well, and, and you know, it didn't come from me. Oh because, no, I know because, because you knew the truth. Because I saw what was happening here toward the end of that was your second contract run. Yes, you had become more and more enamored with radio. Yes. You had you were starting to do very very well at radio, and I think that there's two things. That number three job in local TV is a transient job because there just isn't much upward mobility. Doug wasn't going anywhere. I did everything I could to hold on to the three of us including the contract before that. But also, at some point, Alan Cohen comes to me and says, I have to record Tim's radio show every day. And I relay that to you and just say, some of what you say, take this for what you want. Some of this, some of what you say may follow you into TV. Now, I'm guessing, because Vaughn is still employed at Channel 4, I'm guessing in 2018 it would be a different story. But 13 years ago, there were in, for the GM we worked for, there was a problem. I had nothing to do with any of that stuff. Oh, I know that. And oh, so. I would hear secondhand that Tim said, well, I'm going to say the real story, but I didn't understand what you were angry about because I thought all along you were moving toward radio anyway because there was just no upward mobility. You were plenty capable. You were plenty capable of being the number two guy. You were plenty capable at that point of being a sports director at any station in St. Louis, and, and, and you turned down other jobs elsewhere, I read. So it wasn't it. There just was nowhere for you to go. Right, right. The thing that that bothered me, and I just I handle with with you. I handled. I look back on it. I have the. I save every email, um, and I saw an email that I sent to you. So I emailed you. I emailed you as opposed to have a conversation, whether it be over the phone. But really, since we saw each other every day, right, face to face. I mean, I'm just. I'm. I'm like disgusted by that. That uh, I did that. No, I'm not saying that. But I mean, I'm, that's me and personally. I, and I appreciate, I appreciate, I appreciate you saying this because th- th- that has been something there. But I got over that a long time. Oh, ago. Oh no, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. I know it's not like like we're upset about it right. sitting here, but just in general, I feel like we're gonna start a conversation. I've got to go. I just, I'm embarrassed by how I handle it. I actually, after saying for a year, because I think I was under the impression I had a non compete, but Alan Cohen, who was the GM you were speaking of, was letting me do radio, even though technically he could have kept me from doing it because of the non-compete encompassed all broadcast, not just television. Right. Uh, I was going to hold out. And then when the time came, I decided not to do it. And my reasoning for not deciding to do it was I'm like, when it gets down to it, I know Steve's a good guy. And he didn't do anything malicious. He just did, really, if anything, he did the honorable thing, even though I was kind of on the short end of the stick of what was the honorable thing. The thing that I think had me all fired up had nothing to do with you. The day I quit, I knew I was quitting. Right. And I can't remember what the producer's name was. Kind of about my height with gray hair and glasses. I can't imagine he's there anymore. Newsroom producer? Yeah. News- yeah. Steve Perrin? No, 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 no. I don't know. Okay. He, it was, it was, he wasn't there very long when I was there, so I can't imagine he's still there. But who knows? He came in and he goes, hey, something's going on with the blues. We want to have you do a hit in the, in the news block at 6. And I'm like, oh, I'm about to go up to Alan's office in 15 minutes and quit. But... I'm not going to tell this guy who I barely know. Right. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, sounds good. And I'll go do a minute live hit. Who cares? And so I know I'm going to quit. And then I'm sure then it goes back. Tim's not here. He just told me he was going to do a live shot. 
and then it kind of becomes gossipy. He must have gotten fired because he got fired because he talked like a pervert boy on the radio, and then everybody started. At, and so that that internally drove me up the wall, which I'm also embarrassed by that it bothered me that much. Right. But that's well, what that's what fueled everything. Well, that story, I, I wasn't aware of that story. I don't yeah. even have any recollection of that story. The recollection I have is Well, you that, weren't there when that conversation happened with okay. me and the producer, because okay. it was like I was there at 1.30. Well, if and you're so anchoring, then then I wasn't there. Right. So that makes that makes sense. But the conversations I always had with Alan, it, it was, well, where's Tim going to go? Are we going to, is Doug going to get kicked to the curb? No. Uh, Tim's now venturing off and doing well in radio. The show is drifting in a direction that Alan wasn't comfortable with. So, you know, we had five years of that threesome. Somebody asked me the other day, 18 years I managed. I said that was the best five years we had. From a on-air product standpoint, from a we had way more fun than we should have behind closed doors. That was the best. Um, I, I pissed myself in that office about 30 times. <laughs> I really did. We I still swear. do. It's just we still go back. We still go back. <laughs> Uh, our old producer Troy Roberts, he texts me once in a while, and we still make reference to a certain <laughs> hockey stick that uh, Doug still has back there in sports. But uh, we had more fun than we should have. But it was a good situation. I wish it had ended differently. I was a little bit taken back for a few months, and then I just it just kind of disappeared. Tim, you did well, and and so I would see your dad on a regular basis because right. I started working. Jack and I had a, I guess this was after Jack. Maybe we still had the radio show. But um, maybe we were playing golf, but I'd run into your dad yeah. or I'd play golf with your dad and, and Greg Marisek over at Algonquin. Right. And we got along great. I'd oh, say, how's yeah. Tim doing? He's doing great. I said, you know, we'd say, look, I think he's in the right business. But again, you could be sitting in any chair you want in St. Louis if the opportunity at that time had been there. And if he had waited something out, maybe something would have popped. Um, Doug, Doug got first right of refusal when I went to news full time. And Doug didn't want to do it because he didn't want to work nights every night. So I don't think you would have hung in there another eight oh, years. Oh, hell no. I didn't want to do you're it. You're happy doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so it worked out for everyone's best yeah, interest. But I, I never really held a grudge. I just figured something happened that pissed you off. And in time, people stopped coming back to me secondhand and saying, well, he's not talking about it right. anymore. So I but figured it was everybody a moved full on. full year. And it was just, I just look back on, I, like I said, I'm embarrassed about two things. Not embarrassed. The email I sent you, which I still have, I'm, I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't know better. How old was I then at that time? I was in my, only 27. Which is really yeah, weird. we're still headstrong. Let me tell you something. At 54, I'm a, <laughs> lo- I'm a lot wiser because I had mentors when I was 30. I was still headstrong yeah. when I walked into Channel 4 and people, you know, Showed me to put the brakes at the right time. Yeah, so. and I'm just like, why wouldn't I have a conversation with you? And then you wrote an email back, but I mean, I'm the one that started the email thing, and it's just like, well, that's just dumb. Because I, See, I don't big... even remember the email chain to be yeah, honest with yeah. you. But but I I, I was, was just, just, kinda... it was just it was, I wrote a long one, and then you wrote a long one, and then I'm like, well, I, I I figured you were over it like I was long ago. So oh, when I'm... so when John contacted me about doing this, I didn't yeah, hesitate. No, I figured I, we'd but, have but fun. Because I feel, and we definitely will. But I feel like I've got to talk about it because we haven't talked oh, in I appreciate 13 years, I and, appreciate I, and I that. and I acted like an asshole. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, you know. And it'd be one thing if I'm like, yeah, Savard's kind of a dick. But he's a great guy, and I'm the one who acted like an asshole. And that's yeah, the I thing. Don't, I don't remember you really acting that much like an a hole. I just remember there seemed to be there seemed to be my. Uh, I was puzzled because there seemed to be more resentment than I thought there was going to be because I thought this is where you were moving in the in, in the direction that made sense anyway. Yeah. And uh, honestly, what could I have done? I mean, there was a time when uh, after your first contract was up, I, Alan would always say to me, "Do you?" I said, "Absolutely." I said, "This guy's getting even better and better. He's working sources." 
The one thing we did that really I had to apologize to Doug Vaughn over the time, over that period of time, was you came to me with the ideas you wanted to go cover the Cardinals on a really, nightly basis. Yes, Remember this? this is 2004. I chose a good year for, the, for that, <laughs> okay, too. Okay, well, <laughs> we had never had – I'm always the guy. Doug had a family at home. I didn't want to make him work nights. I understood that. I was missing out. What I didn't realize after 16 years doing Rams games, I look back. My stepsons are 30 and 27 now. We're closer than ever. But I was really an absentee stepfather and an absentee husband for five months out of the year. I always understood that with Doug. He had kids growing up. It was my responsibility to be there at night, so we couldn't cover the Cardinals. You presented an opportunity because not only were you interested in covering them, you were working sources and getting stories we had never had before. Well, the problem was the games kept bleeding over to 10-10 and 10-15. We never got any sound, and all you were doing was standing at home plate. Telling, telling the viewers what I just said right, during the highlight. Right, right. And, and so then we, Doug would be alone for nine or ten straight days while you took the days off while they were off. And yeah, it yeah. didn't work. I had the best of intentions. But I, at the end of the day, I had to apologize to Doug and say, look, I didn't mean to screw you. But that's kind of what happened. And so that didn't work out. Yeah. But, yeah, that was. You know. Yeah. I, just, I, I look back on it and go, God. And then, that, then to be on the radio from 2005 to 2006 going, yeah, I'm going to talk about what happened. And it's just like, what a, just like, it's like the two things I did now in 2018, but really going back a while now since starting inside STL and then managing some businesses are two of the things that I would actually either fire or not hire people because of those traits. I preach against, and I don't do, sending long emails to people. Right. If we're going to have a discussion, it's going to be face-to-face or on the phone. What did I do? I sent a long email to you. Total disappointing move. And then to like talk bad outside the room, you know, and that's what I was doing. Now, granted, we weren't working together anymore, but I was talking about on the radio. It's, just, it's such a, it's such a hack thing, you know, and I'm just disappointed in myself for doing it. And again, it'd be one thing if like, I'm like, oh yeah, he's a bad guy. So screw him. But he's, I knew you were a good guy. So that's why. And just, and I, I look back and then when I saw that email, I don't know when I saw it, it was a few months ago. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Well, you know, you know that. what the problem was? You made it. Listen, I've had all kinds of number three people. Okay. So the two best I had were you and Ann Carroll. I couldn't get Ann Carroll hired full-time. She fit in perfectly. She wasn't nearly as good an anchor as you were, and that was the problem management had with it, but she would have grown into that. Um, but then I've had other people that I couldn't wait till they actually left. <laughs> My pro- your problem is when you're managing people is this, is that when they're really good, it becomes a problem because there was nowhere for you to go, no. and I understood the frustration and so that was part of my motivation. You'd already been there four years, and you're on your second contract. When you came to me with that proposal about covering the Cardinals, I thought this might help keep Tim here. You know, and, and, and I, as I look back, it kind of screwed Doug because he was left alone mm. for seven or eight straight days or five of those yeah. seven when he was anchoring. Didn't even think about that. So yeah, you're right. the problem was I was backed into a corner. I'm loyal to people. I had worked with Doug longer than you. Doug is a tremendous talent. In fact, he's the most talented person I've ever worked with in my life. And there was no way he was going to get blown up. And there was no way Alan was going to allow it. So mm-hmm. my hands were tied. No, I, so get, I, I, get, I appreciate I you bringing this up. But again, I wouldn't be here if I really, oh, thought, no, and I understand I, that. If I really thought that we had something that was insurmountable. Uh, because I say all the time, we had a lot of fun back there for four or five years. Oh, it was the best. For real, it was the absolute best. It was, I mean, that is how, because Doug and I, it's not that we weren't close but I'm sure you, you were had like, competing interests. Right. I tell this. I tell this story all the time. It's interesting. I said, "Here's here's a good business decision by Tim McKernan and Doug Vaughn." I would say it's been a great partnership. As oh in the my radio. god, ten years and the show is you know that's, whatever. That's it is. my perspective. It, yeah, I said they were at each other's throats at times, and I had to step in and intercede. And I said it wasn't because Doug they didn't was, like I think each Doug other. Doug was upset with me, but he didn't come to me about it, and it was about like 
I get like what you're talking about there. Like if you're there by yourself and you're anchoring and you have no reporter for eight straight days. And then you, you, and I, I just mentioned this, you were working and getting stories that we had never had before. I mean, we had stories all the time and I got management telling me, boy, that's a big, big get by McKernan. I said, I know. So when I went to management with this idea, they said, yeah, we kind of like that idea. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it doesn't always work out. Uh, I did what I thought was best. And, um, you know, we're sitting here 13 years years later and we're okay. So I think that's the big thing. I'm not a guy that lives in the past. No, I understand. But I just, I I feel like there have been times over the last few years where I've been like, I feel like I just need to like text Steve and apologize, honestly. Because even though it's been 13 years, I'm just like, I'm just so disappointed in myself. You know, I mean, I guess it's good that I recognize that I handled it horribly. I'm not telling you handled it poorly. I'm just saying it's. it's I think it says something that you want to bring it up before oh, yeah. we start. This yeah, I, I just, I just, I'm just so you know. I said that to my wife. I said I've just, I've got to talk about it. I, there's an interview. I don't know. Do you listen to any podcasts? Uh, I listen. I listen to. Um, I caught one. I will tell I'm you. I'm not this. talking about my show. I'm not looking for you to talk about my show. No. I'm well, I do about... listen to one in particular, uh, Jocko Willinks, the former Navy SEAL, and I listen to Joe Rogan quite a bit. Okay, all right. But, um, so you do listen to podcasts. I, I, I do. I will tell you this, and we'll get off what you want to talk about. But it's like a time warp. Last week, I had an early morning appointment. I don't tend to listen to a lot of talk radio. I live in the most divisive world ever now. In in between social media and news, and everybody has an opinion. If I'm going to hear opinion radio. I want both sides represented, no matter what you, I believe Where do you in. find that? Well, it's very hard. But so otherwise, I want to be entertained. So if I'm in the car and I'm on a day off and Frank Opinion's on, my friend, I listen to him, okay? So I turn you guys on because I rarely, rarely listen to music or even to have the radio on going to the gym. I was going to the gym last week. And it's like a time warp. It could have been 2003. <laughs> I don't hear your voice, but I hear Doug and I hear the cat, yeah. okay? Yeah. And then I hear porn star discussion with Stormy Daniels. Yeah, that had to be And within, Doug. no, no, <laughs> within a half a second, I recognized it was the great Iggy Strode. And they're talking about who's going to go see Stormy and who's going to film it. Nick, were you filming? Okay. Nick wasn't on well, that one. a shame for you. Yeah, bad beat. What a, what bad a, assignment. Well, maybe 10 years ago it would have been a better yeah, deal looking at Stormy. It would have been a much Stormy. better assignment 10 years um, ago. <laughs> but anyway, it was just like I thought to myself, this is like a time warp. Yeah, absolutely. But I was, Still doing the same I thing. I haven't matured. I was chuckling and laughing. <laughs> if it works for you, go with it. You know? <laughs> I guess The it only has. thing that's taken off really is uh, the dotem issue. The dotem yeah. issue. My brother, who is the salesperson at KMOV. Go ahead. He said, because Steve occasionally will tag something free dotem. Oh, yeah. Oh, I listen. Oh, I listen. But I've also paid attention to it. I got to tell you, am I going to get you away from? No, this is this is it's a podcast. That's one of the great things about it. There is no plan. You listen to the show. You know, there's no plan. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I have heard. You know how channel. You know, in radio, you are you are you are you are mixing with salespeople all the time. Yes, it's it's one. You're one and the same. Well, you know, at Channel Four, absolutely, it's it's two different floors. So one day, the only reason I know your brother Dan works, it's Dan, right? Yeah. Okay. Tall, full head of hair. How about that deal? Okay. Terrible. So, um, so the only reason I'm on the second floor, but I, you know, very rarely we don't. The only the only people I really know are guys like Bruce Morgan who've been there for 25 years, like me. And I hear Mike Murphy, our general manager. By the way, you'd love Mike Murphy. He's a great guy. He uh, he says Dan McKernan's name, and he stands up, and so I see him. And the only reason I know he still works there is about once a year we have an all-station meeting, and Dan's there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the dotem thing, 
this is this is really ridiculous. I, I, I was a little resi- I was a little hesitant to really believe it was going worldwide until the Ryder Cup, and I heard someone yell "free dotum," and I said, "Did I just hear that?" And then Doug has told me Joe Thomas has adopted it. Yes, he has, of course. Um, I did tag "free dotum" in one of Doug's unplugged rants, um, but I got to tell you this story: Alyssa Reitmeyer, who I work with, yes. she was my co-anchor after Sharon Reed left. She got pregnant, then took some time off, and when she came back. She moved to Florida with her husband, who had a great opportunity as an orthopedic surgeon. She was a sweetheart, loved her. In our going away meeting, we were all sitting there, and we are all telling stories and all this, and, and Alyssa stood up very seriously and looked at Doug, and she says, you have to tell me the minute Dotum is free. <laughs> Alyssa Reitmeyer. Oh so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's pervasive throughout the St. <laughs> Louis and, 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 and North American communities. Yeah. yeah, when I heard it at Hazeltine, I was caught off guard. I will tell you, I was in the background of a Mickelson putt. That's crazy. Yeah, for the United States. That's crazy. Um, this, uh, this, is, this is something from our television days. We would do live shots together. And what are you, like 6'3"? Six, six okay. And I'm like 5'1". I don't know what it is. 5'1", five, 5'3", five, with the lifts. And then one time, I think we finally go, you know what? Let's put Tim on a cinder block. I think and we were in San Francisco. It was on either the San Francisco or New York. We were on a rooftop. It was either New York or San Francisco. Yeah, I think it was San Francisco that uh, the the Bay Bridge, the Golden ba- the Golden yeah, Gate the Bay Bridge in the, the background. background. Yeah, yeah. And there I am on a. And I think the the photographer panned down to show the cinder block because I had magically, you know, gotten like the Bob Costas kit, I guess, that allows you to suddenly ascend. <laughs> well, we've had that a little bit with Kent when Kent was the main guy and we were live somewhere. And then Jasmine Huda, when she worked there and we were at Anchor together, they would always have a they would have a box, yeah, and everything else. So um, that didn't that never bothers you, rolled with no, it. I mean, it's part yeah. it's part of kind of the humor of the thing. Yeah, that's why I, th- I always you know the, the 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 thing about TV news is that the the people that I don't really respect are people that caught up and, and can't laugh at themselves and they take themselves way too seriously. And yeah. In 2018, that's ridiculous. People laugh about. The Ron Burgundy era when they watch Anchorman, still one of my favorite movies. Oh, it yeah. makes me wet myself. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just it, I laugh so loud because you know what? I got into the business in the late '80s when there was the still 90s, some of that going on. And it was holdover. But understand this: people say they can't. People, hi, people can't. Uh, this is wonderful looking. That's not how I made my money. The profile shot of Steve Savard, by the way. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. You couldn't come over there behind McCartney. Yeah, come over my shoulder. So anyway, um, the, uh, the, the you know in the '70s. People only got their news from two or three sources. Right. You had local television news, you had the local newspaper, and you had the national news. That's it. So anchors like Patrick Emery and Julius when he was there, even Larry Connors, they were big deals back then. People, My friend Charlie Gito, his mother was straight off the boat from Italy. She spoke in broken English, I guess, until the day she died. But Charlie tells me a great story. You know Charlie's one of the great storytellers oh, yeah. of all time. He says, my, my mother never believed the story was true until Max Roby told her on the news. And she would say, did Max Roby say it? <laughs> and if Max Roby said it, then she trusted him. So there was a lot of that bleed over when I got into the business. So we're, you know, the station will crumble if I'm not here. I'm right. not replaceable, which is silly. Well, yeah, and, and now we know. I mean, that's one of the things. I remember we became the KMOV number one in the ratings. And I think it was February of, February of 05, okay. the month I left. And it was like two months after Julius had left. And I remember thinking to myself, if it, quote, doesn't matter, and I say that loosely, I'm not right. taking a shot, but if it doesn't matter ratings-wise that a guy who's an institution in St. Louis and Julius Hunter right. left and the station ascended, probably because of factors that were had nothing to do with the news desk, exactly. as we know, then me, as the number three guy, I mean, I, I couldn't be any more irrelevant when it gets down to the business 
of the business, which is why I think I like radio more than TV is because I feel like I can control my destiny more. I know that if I bring in advertising dollars, I have leverage. Right. Whereas in television, well, we're look, all replaceable. I well, feel we're like all we're replaceable, all replaceable, but it's really kind of a willy nilly system of ratings. This is oh, what we yeah. make our. This is what we rely on. Ask your brother. He yeah. makes a living trying to sell TV ratings, and, and there's no rhyme or reason sometimes why we'll be number one in the country, which we were in number at one in 10 the o'clock. Yeah, really? We're the most watched top 30 market station in July and November of last year. Wow. And then in February, the Olympics played into it. We didn't even win the ratings book at 10. So it's it, it's uh, you're never on top for very long. You don't have to be on bottom for very long. But, you know, you've got a metropolitan area of 2.7, 2.5 million people, and you're metering 700. And you're saying that that's representative of that's what you're trusting. So who knows? Right. Maybe in radio, the sample is the sample any more reliable? The sample's like a thousand. Okay. I thought. But but I mean, for me, we don't even monitor ratings. It's it's all about advertising dollars. And are the clients getting a return? And so I know the clients, and we generate revenue for the it's clients. It's in your the blood. It is my it's blood. In your blood. It comes if anybody's from my ever met your dad, yeah. your dad's the ultimate salesman. He is. A great, he's still selling. A gra- is he really? Yeah, I can, he's for for, for our you. Show. Yeah. For you. For I inside, him, right? Yeah, inside STL. But I'll say, Dad, you're in Hilton Head. Enjoy yourself. Timmy, we, I, I think this Buffalo Wild Wing thing is going to happen. I'm like, okay, but go and go putt. You need to work on your putting. We well, a lot of three jacks. But see, this is what I recognized about you early on, though, is that you had you had something that I have zero, and I say this as an indictment, and my wife beats me up about it all the time, too. My mother used to beat me up. I have no ability to self-promote. And I don't mean self-promote in a negative connotation. I mean in a survival connotation. Yeah. I'm the guy I would starve as a salesman. Starve. I'm the guy you do say no to because I'm going to say <laughs> blank you it back. I'm not going to stick my foot in the door. I'm going to go. I take no for an answer. It's just something. And I, my wife has told me, my mother told me years ago, you would be better served in your business if you had a little bit of, of ability. That, to. That is true, isn't it? But here's the thing I would say about because people would ask when we worked together what it was like to work with you. And here is the thing, and I've said this a couple times. It's a compliment. I hope it comes off properly. Because you're this big, good-looking cat, and and I it's think... It's a sliding scale at 54 <laughs> now. <laughs> Hi. And, 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 uh, but I, I, I get... I, is it fair to say introverted? Oh, I don't think so. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think the right, so. right term. I, I think because... I think people... I would say this guy say... People would say, well, he's arrogant. I go, oh, he's not. He's not even close. If anything, he's so conscious of being perceived as arrogant that he goes out of his way to be not arrogant. That's kind of how I would describe it. Okay. But, but- yeah. And so, but so because, therefore, you're going out of your way, then people go, oh, well, he's quiet. So he must think he's too cool for school. And I go, God, that's absolutely not who he is. And so I remember, like, explaining oh, that when we worked together. Insight. Yeah, because that, that was the deal. And I remember back in the sports office. Uh, and it's, it's still this way now, actually, with the radio show. You have me, you, and Doug in the sports office and some producers, which really were, were the entertainment yes, that they came, were. came yes, from. Yes, they were. Don't and forget our, Mark Griffin as well. And, and yeah. I was about to mention, and yeah. our editor. Yes. I mean, my God, if that could have been recorded, that would be a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> we, I don't know if we'd be employed. But, no, <laughs> anywhere. But, but nonetheless, it was good entertainment. And uh, and what would happen? The, the girls weren't running back there to, to either one of us. They were. They thought Doug was the second coming of George Carlin. I mean, they were back there. And I've got like, a story to tell about that. Too. What do you got? Tell away. Well, um, first of all, let me go back to that. I would, I, I, that take I think is closer to me than saying I'm arrogant. I don't like well, the course, attention I didn't on say me. You're arrogant, no, no, okay. but, yeah, I, but I know you didn't. Okay, but 
growing up, I think a lot of my friends, I was immersed in sports and I was immersed in studies. And I was, my nickname was Joe Jock. I wasn't the most popular guy. I was in the popular group, but I wasn't the guy that called girls and called this and organized stuff. I had a close circle of friends, but I was a pretty serious person and um, too serious. But I think a lot of people would be shocked knowing how I grew up and that I was a little bit, I'm not the guy that walks into the room and tries to command attention. I'm happy blending in. I think I've come out of that in the last decade or so. I think I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm much better at it than I was when you and I worked together, but I still don't like, I'm old school journalism. We're not supposed to be the story. The story is the story. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really like to focus. I hate promos that I'm in. I've never seen a promo that I like. It's just, that's just, but that's, that's part of, if I'm in the business, I need to be less that way and a little bit more um, like you or like somebody else that has a capability of going out there and selling themselves. I'd always admired that about you. So, but like the Hey Steve thing when you first started. Oh, I hated that. Oh, when they did that, I still see it. I, I put it on <laughs> Facebook one time and I try to have a little fun with Facebook and it, um, but I, I put that. On Facebook one time is how ridiculous that and people know what people, was hasty for because I'm sure some people are listening and they have no idea what it is. My, I don't even remember. I was in high school when it was going it on. Was I don't take what... off of the James Brown song. I feel good. Okay. And it was a local guy who I still keep. You know, he still keeps in touch once in a while. He sang. Hey, Steve. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Uh, you, you look it up on YouTube. There's a couple still there. He's the sportsman. And we had Brett Hall saying it and Bernie Federico. And I'm spinning a ball. I'm kicking a soccer ball. <laughs> you're like, what, 30? We had Trish got Brown. I just got there. And Trish Brown, and it's all about me. And I just thought it was the hokiest thing. But I understand from a TV standpoint why you would do that. Right. And I think it got some traction. I actually think, because the Hey Steve thing, every once in a while, I'll still get a Hey Steve. I'll get a Sevy. I love it when people call me Sevy. That's, that's Jack, Jack Snow. Um, so, but that's the kinds of things that I've learned to roll with and understand that I've chose this business. And, um, but it is interesting that in this business, usually you got to be self-promoting and you've been successful despite the fact that that isn't something you're comfortable. Here's with. my deal. I never want to go to a party. I have to invite myself to, I use that analogy all the time. Yeah. Uh, I've never lobbied for a job. I've never, I had an agent for about six months and it was a disaster in the nineties and I decided no, yeah. um, you know, I, I say what I have to say and then I let the chips fall where they may. It's not the part of the business I like. I like telling stories. I like being part of something that matters on a day when we have something that's significant. Um, let me go back to Vaughn for a minute. So you say that Vaughn was the guy that came back and all the people at the station, the women at the station, they would flock to Doug. It Nothing's is. changed. It hasn't changed. changed. Doug can say anything. Unbelievable. Doug can say anything in the world that would get me deposed. <laughs> in fact, I've told him many times. I've told him many times. I said, shut up, because I do not want to be deposed. Okay, I've made it this far. I've never sued anybody in my life, and I've never been sued. Okay? So, and maybe, again, I, I'm, I don't take risks. I, I like the entrepreneurial spirit. I, you're a guy that has the entrepreneurial spirit. I've watched you grow and do this. I find people who have the entre- entrepreneurial spirit fascinating, because I don't. I got to have the paycheck. I got to have, you know, I got to build something. So anyway, Vaughn, we had an intern. This was after they had gutted my department. Okay. So in 08, 09, Sean McLaughlin came in and he and I literally didn't speak to each other for three years. Oh, was, was that right? That was, he was the news director. It was a miserable experience. And then he and I end up being the best of work buddies when I made the switch to News Anchor. He's the reason I'm still there. Really? I yeah. didn't know this story. It came full circle. And Sean came in, wouldn't talk to me for three weeks. Uh, like, as the news director, he came in and he was sports director, director, and he wouldn't talk to me. Wouldn't him. talk to What the hell me. is that about? Don't know. I okay. mean, he kind of wanted to gut the department. The thing is that Alan Cohen, as you know, was he, still, he was gone by then. Oh, no, Alan was still there. He's still there. Okay. So for 18 years, I worked for a guy that treated me like a son. Alan treated me, for whatever reason, some people like you. 
Alan took a liking to me and treated me like a son as much as an employee for 18 years. And it's, it's really what got me through a lot of tough times after 08, 09. Finally, he had had enough and said, you guys close the door because you'll be the best of buddies. And you know what? We had a knockdown drag out for three and a half hours. Everybody in the newsroom is kind of looking in there. And to Sean's credit, the boss, he let me say everything. I let him say everything. And it turned out we had no issues. So, but going back to this, they had gutted the department. So, no, I take that back. Uh, Tim Klusaritz was still there. Okay. Producer. Producer. Great producer. Great, great guy. producer. And now an assistant news director in, in, Fort in Florida yep. and, and ascending. So... I always let Tim handle the interns. So we were kind of phasing out sports interns, but there was one particular young lady who had worked for the radio station I was working for, 101. Uh, No, this was 103 at the time. This was still 103. And um, all I heard about was, oh, she's, I mean, you know, she's spectacular. She's gorgeous. And I said, well, I'm not interested in anybody getting any trouble. Channel 4, I've made it this far. And she goes, oh, she'll be great. So she comes in. Tim wasn't there. She wanted the job. So... Doug and I started asking her questions. And so Doug is asking borderline inappropriate, but she's laughing as loud as she can. So she left. I told him, I said, if you do that again, if you, if I get deposed, your rear end, your, your butt is grass. I'm telling you that. And, um, can I say ass on this? Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a your ass is grass. So again, playing it safe, Steve. Absolutely. So, um, anyway, she becomes an intern and, she would come in and she would order from the restaurant next door. And the restaurant next door didn't have quality, high quality food. It Shot was, at Max and Irma's out of nowhere. Yes. <laughs> it's no longer Max and Irma's, but uh, it served its purpose. But it wasn't a place I liked to eat sure. or whatever else. But she would order. We would hear on the phone. She would say, I'll take uh, chicken fingers and French fries. And so about so this she was, was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> She was about 30 years old, late okay. 20s, right. and, and and done some things and accomplished. So Doug one day just says to her, we're sitting there, and she's logging the Cardinals game, and it starts at 6 o'clock. I think that's why the three of us were still there. All the, Doug and I were still there together, and she, he says, you know, you should probably cut back on the fried food. Oh, yeah, no. Was, oh, no. I start kicking Really? This. I can't it gets believe worse. he said that. She starts chuckling, and so she, he engages her, and he says, he starts saying, your butt is going to get way too big. Oh, my God. And she laughs. And she's laughing, and I'm throwing stuff. I can't wait. I said, Doug, uh, I need to see you down the hall. And, but three more inappropriate questions come. And she, she, to her credit, she had, you know, she had fun with it. She thought he was fun, and that's my point. I said to him, I grabbed him, I said, I, I will kill you if we get sued because you can't keep your mouth shut. And uh, she took it like a champ, and all year long she was fun, and all summer long yeah. she was fun. And Doug says, but Doug says stuff. I don't know how you are around, but. I know I would be locked up. Oh, I am so because if somebody and I'm like Melissa Marr, who has worked with me now for ten years, she's the director of sales at the radio station, and she'll say, she goes, people ask, what's it like to work for Tim? You know, kind of like what I used to get. What was it like to work for Steve? And she goes, he's the most because they, they hear the weird stuff I say on the radio, and she'll say he's the least sexual person I've ever been around because I'm so paranoid of exactly what you're talking about. But in my case, people hear me talk on the radio. And if anybody said, well, he was flirtatious, they well, of course, listen to how he talks on the radio. Right. Whereas I am so cautious. I don't want to ruin whatever it is that I have by being creepy. You and know? so Vaughn's the same way here <laughs> as he is at the television station. He can say anything. Doug, Doug is. I mean, he is. He is. Everybody at Channel 4 thinks he's the funniest guy in the world. Doug can walk in a room and say anything and three people have to go change their underwear because they're <laughs> laughing so hard. You know, I, um, but. 
Th- that's the way Doug is. He gets away with he's he can say anything because people are not put off. By it is it is an amazing thing, and he's so quick. I mean, for real. When I think about who I've done radio with, the cat and Doug, and that's with the cat. I guess almost fourteen years now. Doug ten plus. councilman Joan. Ca- councilman Alder Alder Cat Alder Cat, uh, and then Martin. Talking about some yes, super quick minds. You know, I mean, I've been lucky to stumble into uh, to working with these guys, but in the KMOV Sports Office. I mean, I, remember, I think it was the first, like, whatever it would have been, maybe Sunday, where we were all in there. And I was 23 years old. And I'm like, this is the funniest group of people I've ever been around. It was hilarious. God, I knew you were young. You were 23? 23. I knew you were young. Well, first of all, your first job was in Fort, it was in Little Rock. That's right. That's right. I don't want to hear about this. My first job was in Billings, Montana. People are, people are just stunned. <laughs> you were treating Little what Rock you like I was in Bill- Manhattan. Billings, Mon- you want to you make a comparison? <laughs> Billings, Montana. People joke to me, so you played in the NFL. I said, I barely played in the NFL. I said, it is what it is, as Joe Vitt would say. It was a couple years, one year in IR, broken neck. I said, this is how in... This is how inauspicious it was. This is how unsuccessful it was. My first television job was in Billings, Montana. Mark, do you remember what market size was? One sixty-five. One sixty-five. It was wow. my first job for twelve thousand dollars a year. I, I, was about to, I was about to ask on the salary. It was three ninety-six twenty-eight every two weeks at a take home. Oh, Thank God I put some money away from being on IR with the Cowboys with a busted neck because that's what got me through. But people say, and, and you know, oh McKernan, he started in Little Rock. Now what does that mean? You, a, you must have been a hell of a lot better. Your first tape, I have no doubt, your first tape. Let me tell you something. I've gone back and looked at my first tape. When I got to El Paso and I became So it was Billings to El Paso so, to St. Louis? No, to Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, that's right. And then yeah, here. I forgot about Hartford. So when I got to El Paso, my boss, my news director, was a real laid-back guy for a while. Well, I first went for a woman who was, she was a ball buster. But, man, she made you better. Well, Bill was a little bit laid-back. He'd sit and he'd, hey, sport, come here. Sport. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, about four minutes before newscast, uh, uh, you got a four-letter word for eel. He's oh, doing crossword puzzles. Perfect. So, so Bill would say we had to hire somebody, a second guy, and he said, you handle it. And so I would get these tapes in from all across the country, like from Yuma, Arizona. And and literally, he said to me, I got 75 tapes. And he said to me, bring me your top three. I said, Bill, I don't have top three. I have one. He's in Harrisburg, Illinois. Dave Crum, who I work with, he went on to work in Dallas. He's a great sportscaster, good guy. Anyway, he goes, no, you got to have more than three. I said, let me show you the three. He said, you got one. So my point here is that I wanted to give these people the advice and just say, go into accounting, go into something else. But I tried to be encouraging. But my tape getting hired in Billings was so atrocious. I hope the other 73 people went into something else. Because if this guy said, I got to have this guy for 12,000 years, and he, he made me promise him, I mean, at least I'm a fast learner. Because he made me promise him a year, okay? At six months, I was doing news reporting three days a week. I was covering uh, sugar beet symposiums and the curly top virus. I said in two days a week I was doing sports, and I said, I've got to get out of here. And I, and I went to El Paso on a visit. They liked me, and then I had to go back, and I had to walk in Ron's office. And I walked in. I'd only been there eight months, and he goes, let me guess. You got a job. And I said, yeah. And he goes, not only am I not pissed, here's a letter of recommendation. I expected this. He says, get out of here. You don't belong here. So wow. at least, I, but I'm telling you, that's a lot of improvement in, in six or eight months because my tape was atrocious. <laughs> where, where had you done work? Where had you done work to even have a tape? Broadcast center. I was the first oh, guy. I was centering. the first guy to be placed in television news at a broadcast center. My brother had been in the Air Force. He had no college education other than some. He worked. He tried to get his meteorological degree and it didn't work out. He went to broadcast center. Had gone through the radio curriculum. Was a morning radio guy in Joplin. They advertised for a weather guy. He got the job. Huh. 
So uh, he's on at KODE Channel 12 in Joplin as the main weather guy. Doesn't have a meteorology degree. So I'm, I'm kicked to the curb in football. I've been back. I took some physicals in the spring. I started to get better. Nobody passed me. I don't blame them. So I was this close to going to the highway patrol and being a state trooper. Really? I was going to law enforcement. That's what I wanted to I do. I never knew that. Yeah, I was in love with uh, that uniform and serving. What and year is this, ballpark year? 1988. Okay. I, I, I was eight, eight hours short. I would have been in school for eight semesters. I was eight hours short of my degree. I went back, finished. I put out feelers to be uh, in, in TV news, and it was covering NASCAR in Florence, South Carolina. I didn't know a carburetor from spark plug. <laughs> so I went home. I went, I went down. My brother said, before you, before you go off and be a cop, come down here. So I went down there. I watched the news one night, and the sports guy gave the score backwards on the air. He said the Royals lost the Brewers 2-4. to four. Now, I grew up in a sports-crazy family. That's, 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 that's like breaking the first commandment. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's the yeah, 11th yeah. commandment. Yeah. <laughs> he, he pulls me back in his office. He says, if you don't try to get in this business, you're a moron. He goes, did you hear that guy? He's a buffoon. I work with him every night. And I said, well, all due respect, bro, this is Joplin. He goes, well, you don't have to stay here. I'm not going to stay here forever. And so he talked me into going to Broadcast Center. And I said, look, I'm only going to give you my 5000 bucks if – I get placed in TV. Well, you've never placed in TV. You might have to do it yourself. I said, just put a camera downstairs after I do the radio curriculum. Long story short, I did it. It was in the middle of summer, and I literally was dobbing. There was no air conditioning down there. I had to dob myself off all because I sweat like crazy. <laughs> Anybody that saw our Eclipse coverage last August understands that. <laughs> uh, so in mir- miracle of miracle, I pulled it off. I put a tape together. I sent it out on Media Line. Oh, the guy Media Billing, Line. My the guy God. in Billings called me and said, Hey, I like your tape, which is stunning. But that's how I got into the business. And that had to happen because you probably weren't going to have a whole lot of other opportunities coming out of the broadcast. Well, so you I had was, to get that breakthrough in Billings, even though it was Billings. Well, I was still putting out. That was my first tape I'd sent, but I put, oh, two, so went I for put one. two or three out. But I had put two or three out. And then um, I don't know what would have happened or whatever else, but uh, I was the first guy that actually got placed. And I did most of it myself. And now I know they, they're, they're much better about placing. People ask me all the time. I said my broadcast center experience was good because I had no tape. I had yeah. to put something on tape to get hired. And Miracle of Miracles, you know, I got hired. Eight months in Billings. How long in El Paso? Two and a half years. Oh, okay. So got comfortable there. That was the only time I got an agent because I was comfortable and I said. And then did the agent get you Hartford? He did. And then, and then how long were you Hartford? This can't, you couldn't have been there Four, long because you were 30 months. when you come to St. Louis. 14 months. Really? Yeah. So didn't have a contract? Or you had a out, like top St. Louis an out or top 25 market out? Um, my news director, after six months, came to me and blew my mind and said, you're going to leave us, right, when your contract's up. I said, I'm not even a year in. The great thing is I work with one of my mentors in the business, Beasley Reese, who played defensive back for the talking, Giants yeah. for 10 years. Treated me like a, a younger brother. He gave me great advice. But he was always gone on NBC assignments. He was working with Don Crickey. Don yeah. Crickey, live from the Orange Bowl. <laughs> and so he worked Sundays, and I'd anchor a lot. Yeah. And it was great for me. And my boss called me and said, you're going to leave? And I said, well, I haven't really got to that point. He goes, how about being my news anchor? And now, I remember you telling nowhere. me this. This came out of nowhere. Yeah, I remember you telling me this back then. And I said, you're your main news anchor. He goes, yeah, I think that's where your career is going. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I turned him down. I always wondered. Anyway, long story short, um, Alan saw my tape. We were in the same company. We were owned by Viacom. And uh, the original plan was to send Beasley here and me take over as sports director up there. Oh, really? Beasley and Alan didn't hit it off. We did. I came... Uh, I took a Laclede cab in from, um, you may remember this, from the airport to Channel 4 for the sure, interview. Sure. And then I'm looking out, uh, waiting for Alan to come down to go have lunch, and I'm looking out at what was then the Adams Market. It's the Hyatt now. And he said, that's the Adams Market. And I said, 
my that used to be the Pierce building. My dad sold insurance there for thirty years, and he said, "You're from St. Louis," and I said, "You don't oh, know that." No idea. No. Really? So it, that, that's how I got to St. Louis. So wow. When you got the job, was it like a great thing, Tim? The greatest thing. It, it, it put a little pressure on me, family-wise. Were you your sports director? Uh, six months. Zip was on the way out. His okay. contract was up. They were easing me in. And um, so I had six months. And then at six months, I came in in May. And then by November, I took over. And um, the, greatest, the greatest fringe benefit to all this was being able – you understand this. Your parents. Oh, yeah. Your parents can watch their kid. Every night. And then for 16 years, they got to listen to him call NFL football in the hometown, too. My dad, I mean, my dad just, he was in heaven. So the, I think the greatest fringe benefit about working in St. Louis, and I wasn't trying to get back to St. Louis, was the what it did for my parents. Yeah. And you understand I, this. The greatest, still one of the greatest days of my life was calling my parents and telling them I was coming home. Oh, because all I wanted to do was get to St. Louis. It's interesting. For you, it wasn't. For me, that's all. Like, they used to laugh at me in Columbia. Like, they're, you're going to have opportunities, and you're going to turn them down because all you want to do is work in St. Louis. I'm right. like, yeah, I love the Cardinals. I got to be in St. Louis. That's why I'm doing this, which I look back on, and I go, God, that was dumb, but that's how I felt, so that's what I was doing. So all I wanted to do was get to, and I just wanted to get to St. Louis by the time I was 30. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> beat the hell out of that. <laughs> so you and Frank Cusimano have a similar story. Frank could have worked in a lot of places, yeah. and Frank's a go-getter, but he, he, had, he had his heart set on getting back to St. Yeah. Louis, and it's worked out. He's been there. I saw that he celebrated 25, 25 years. 25 years, just like last week or something yeah. like that. And, uh, but, no, you were way, way, way ahead of the curve. And we saw that, look, you can go back and pick tapes apart, but I remember sitting with Steve Hamill in the office and going, hey, man, when this guy gets a chance to do this on a daily basis, I said, he's going to be great. I said, you know, and the thing that the thing that you were way ahead of the curve on was go working sources and going out and reporting and turning enterprising stuff. You were we hadn't had that. Yeah. And so I loved doing that. I did love doing that. I just I felt like the business was going. It's, like I said, I didn't feel like it was like maybe which exactly what you said. It just wasn't there wasn't. Up oh, no, mobility. you got in. I got in. I say I, I say I got in late. Vaughn says he got in late. You definitely got in late. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you could see where the business was. We had kind of hit the zenith, and we were starting to, and then all of a sudden in 08 or 09, it just, it, just it just plunged off the cliff. But I think the demise of local TV news has been greatly exaggerated to some degree. We still do some things well. We have a lot of blemishes. We have a lot of warts. And in some newsrooms, they get ironed out better than others. But we're still at our best when we use our platform for community good and for exposing people who need to be exposed. Bad guys who are ripping off 80-year-old, mm-hmm. taking $10,000 from them. Um you know, promoting good, positive stories. And I think we do more of that than we did five or six or ten years ago, and I think that's at least that is something we can hang our hat on. When you made the decision to go to news, you said you had the uh, knockdown drag out with Sean McLaughlin, and I do remember you saying, I don't even know why it came up. Maybe I had an agent, and he was saying you ought to go into news because I remember them saying. I remember in the early two thousands, the talk was there aren't a lot of masculine men. I remember that was the phrase doing. News, young masculine men anchoring, okay. and so there was a market for it. And you said, "Yeah, I had the offer, opportunity to do it in Hartford, and turned it down." And you said, you, "I kind of wondered about that." I remember you saying that. that Absolutely, stood out to me. So then, clearly, like six, seven, eight years, whatever it was later, the opportunity I gather is put in front of you. Well, no, what's funny is that Sean and Sean comes in, and, and he and I just—I mean, we just—the problem is that. Everybody loved to see. The one thing about me is they know that I won't take anything. That What does that mean? It means that I will, I will speak up and say things that other people won't. Uh-huh. I've never been afraid to lose a job. That's not me saying macho this, macho that. There's just certain things I can live with and look myself in the mirror for. I try to go to work every day and be a positive, productive person and work with people. But there's only so much I will take. 
And so people would push us to the brink. In the and I see office. my and I well other people outside sources they loved it because sh- everybody was afraid of Sean and I would stand up to Sean ah. and I wasn't afraid and people loved to see that and so they kind of egged it on. We didn't have that many differences. My my big issue was if you're going to cut my department, if you're going to take somebody away from me, speak to me about it. Don't let me find out secondhand. Mm-hmm. I've been here. So um, anyway, about '07, we're not speaking. We're not getting along. I went to Alan, and I just said, "Hey, you know what? For 14 years now, I've wondered about what my life would have been like." I said. Would you ever let me anchor a weekend newscast when everybody's gone on vacation? And he goes, you interested? I said, yeah. And I said, well, he goes, I'll do better than that. He goes, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll go tell Sean next time Larry's on vacation, you're it for Monday through Friday. And I go, really? Wow. And so uh, I thought that'll be an interesting conversation, Sean. <laughs> so Sean really didn't have a choice. And uh, I did that for five years. I would, And on those weeks, I would anchor the news and I would produce and anchor sports. I said, you don't have to do it. I want to do it. I want to prove, I want to knock down this, dispel this notion that this is some golden chair and that there's only a few amount, there's only a few Ron Burgundies in the world that can sit here. I sat a chair over. I tell people I only moved over. I bring the same journalism ethics to it and the same skill set. Now, there were some nuances and I had to learn. That's why I spent five years moving my desk in the newsroom, learning how they like to write yeah, for yeah, process writing and yeah. brand writing and everything else. And so I did that for five and a half years. They liked it. The one night that everything every, everything changed was uh, the Good Friday tornadoes in April of 2011. Larry and Vicky were both gone, and it was Jasmine and I on the anchor desk, and we were on for five or six hours. Wow. I think I just did what I do on a Sunday afternoon calling Rams game. Yeah, but I'm telling you, Tim, because it's live, essentially it's live, live play by play. My pants, sounds this is my hometown. I knew every I knew every yeah. every t- every part of the path of that tornado, and I knew what was there. I knew what building. And I just talked for five or six hours, mm-hmm. and you would have thought I did something that, I mean, the feedback from the station, from Sean and from Alan, Alan was out of town, he looked at it, he said, had I known this, I'd have done this a long time ago. And so that kind of solidified it. But, you know, Larry was still there, and Larry was going to be there. And until Larry got fired, and it's a different situation, I don't comment about that, that's Larry's business with the station. Larry had a phenomenal career, 30 years. Two stations lured him away, Channel 2 first and then Channel 4 back. How many people you can say that about but I knew Larry, similar to your situation, in in early in, in in the middle of 2012, I was ready to move on because they were ready to give me one show a day, but it wasn't enough for me, and I understood they were still being loyal to Larry. So we we're going to split the anchor duties. I got it. I wasn't fighting for it. I never fought for anybody's job, but I was ready. I was just close to signing with an agent saying, what else is out there for me? Because I'm not going to be the primary anchor here for another two or three years at least. And then things changed. I had nothing to do with it. And then I became the, the, the main anchor. So, um, it, you know, it wasn't like overnight I moved from sports to news. That was a five-and-a-half-year process. I didn't realize that. One foot in, one that. foot out, and a lot of nights where they said, look, we'll get somebody else to do sports. I go, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to prove that this is not some – if you've got a work ethic and if you have some sort of journalistic skills, uh, communication skill set, you can do it. And too many people treat that anchorage. I'm replaceable tomorrow. Okay, might there be some growing pains? Maybe, but I am replaceable tomorrow. I doubt 590 will pack up and call it a day if Tim McKernan takes goes somewhere else. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. <laughs> but I'm just guessing. I know you're valuable here. But my point to this is the people who don't get it are the people who think they're irreplaceable in. It's so healthy. I think it's healthy. I think that's healthy. I think it keeps you grinding. Like Rennie Knott, for example, now doing mornings, and I think he's super happy. He's like the nicest guy in the world. Right. Uh, 
But, I mean, he was out shooting Blue's video by himself toward the end when he was sports director. And then he'd be anchoring all the way up until however late it would be, I guess, 1030, but sometimes later. And that's just because he had experienced getting whatever he dealt with in Washington, D.C., and he didn't want to go through it again in St. Louis. So he made himself value. I think that's a healthy perspective. It's It's such an odd business in that capacity, do you enjoy doing news more than you did enjoy doing sports? Yes. You do. Insta-call. You insta-called that. Well, 80%, I'll qualify it. 80% of the time I do. Uh, um, and why? Because it gets me involved in something that I think is important day by day. It's entertainment to do what we do in sports, but at the end of the day, does it really impact people's lives? No, not really. Yeah. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Before you got there, the Pope came to town in 99. Yeah, yeah. You know what Tim Clusarich, Troy Roberts... Bob West, Steve Savard, Doug Vaughn, and Mark Griffin did for three straight days. <laughs> now, you won't believe this when you arrived because it was still a pig pen, but we cleaned the sports department for That's three days. That's what you did. Because it just, there wasn't a role, okay? There wasn't a role. When we would have big news, we would have big news stories or we would have big weather events. We got cut. There's no sports. Right. There's no sports. I'm not a guy that stands at the station and watches the train pull out without him very well. I don't have to be the center of attention, but I want to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And so after years and years and years of that, I just thought that's, that's, what's, that's what's driving me. I, yeah. want, I want something else. And so most days it's great. There are some days I still have sports envy when Mizzou, Illinois, um, SLU are all playing hoops, the Blues are playing, and you got four highlights to put together in yeah. three minutes. That's fun. But, you know, the 6 o'clock Vosat preview in a Cardinals game, I, can, I, can, I don't miss that. I don't miss that. There was no challenge in it. So does it ever get depressing? Absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering if that bothers it, you. It, it affects me, and I um, I try to have Facebook conversations uh, with, with people about it and be, you know, pretty honest about stuff. Um, yeah, we're like everybody else. It, uh, the news, there's sometimes where I get done reading, and it's Courtney's turn, and I'm off camera, and I just, yeah, just do you. one of these things and just go, you got to be kidding me. Or, you, you mentioned Courtney. I jokingly said today to Doug on the radio, I said, Courtney Bryant's the, the most talented young person to come to St. Louis since me. <laughs> well, there's a lot, a lot of truth in that. There is a lot of truth in that. And he goes, that. Oh, is that right? You're, he's the best to come along since you. By the way, do you have any... Could you knock that air conditioning down? Oh, isn't it unbelievable? Or? Yeah. When we do these podcasts, yeah, this, and you have a sweating the studio, situation. Yeah, I have a oh sweating issue. God, yeah, you should, you should see the back of my pants right now. <laughs> we have a return. I don't know. A lack okay. of return right, in That's here. okay. We'll make oh, it. It's Maybe crack the door. It, I'm, no, I'm no, no, telling okay. you. You can't do that. It's something else. But with that, I mean, I don't watch a lot of local television news, I, we were just flipping around one night, and I, I saw Courtney Bryant. Obviously, she's an attractive woman, but it's, sincerely, it has nothing to do with that. I think we kind of are both on the same page where we handle that kind of uh, conversation with peers. Uh, and I just saw it, and it's, it's, it's one of those things. When you do this for a living, you know. It's like news. we used to hear news directors will look at 10 seconds of our tapes. We couldn't believe that for all the work we would put in, but they knew within 10 seconds, and probably sooner than that. I saw her work, and I go, I mean, wherever she wants to go, whether, and I don't even know how old she is. It doesn't matter. She's just so talented. I assume, I'm seeing the look on your face. You're clearly in agreement. There's nothing I disagree with you about. Yeah. She came, um, it, it was an awkward time for us. We had had a lot of success with Sharon Reed. We had uh, owned, we had uh, two and a half straight years of being number one of 10, 10 straight ratings books. Um, everything was great. And one night we were sitting on the set. It was in the middle of Ferguson. Again, you talk about Ferguson. There was something that, it, it destroyed me to see my community in an uproar like this. And there were no easy answers. But to sit on the sidelines would have been worse for me. Yeah. So I got to do that for five or six hours every night. And so one night, 
uh, and I think Sharon and I come from different backgrounds, but we had this yin and yang thing, and I think it worked very well. But I said to her, while Julian Johnson is fighting tears through tear gas, and he's, he's, he's got tears streaming down, and he's running, and we got other reporters, I said, you realize, you realize everyone's going to cash in on the success. You realize every tape just got better and went to the head of the line. I said, there will be an exodus in six months out of here. And Sharon was part of the exodus. So we had had rating success during that time, and everybody, Ferguson was the biggest story in the country for mm-hmm. two weeks. Big story of the year. And so that became everybody's default first story on their tape. We lost two great reporters. We lost uh, executive producer Tim, executive producer Sarah. We lost Sharon. Our GM went to Atlanta, took her, and took several people with him. They all cashed in. And um, so I, 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 we, Sharon left in May of 15. So we went through kind of an awkward transition. We, had, we didn't name anybody. Then we had Alyssa. Then she got pregnant, left. And so they brought Courtney in. And Brian Tuvino, my news director, said, what do you think? I said, how old is she? 24. I said, she's really mature. But I said, really, 24? I said, I'm 51, whatever. I said, here's the problem. Our initial conversation was, you're not going to be able to keep her here. I said, you're not going to, I mean, two years and she's gone. I said, I said this before she even landed at Channel 4. She will own this business. She That's own business. exactly what I said. Well, Tim, it's not, I, it's, I, not unlike, yeah. it's not unlike you. One one stop. Now, she had a, you had Little Rock. <laughs> what, why are you she's in your Bakersfield, eyes okay, but she's from L.A. <laughs> yeah. So she goes, she has only one stop. Now, she comes in and she's here. She's hired to do uh, one of the early shows and just report for the late. But after a year, I told I told her one day, I said, your reporting's fantastic. And then after Alyssa left, we're finally we just said, Why aren't we doing this? Yeah. And it's been great. She will she will go wherever she wants to go. The only person that can derail Courtney Bryant's career is Courtney Bryant, mm-hmm. and I think she's way too smart and savvy for that to happen. Yeah. So she'll do whatever she wants. Hopefully she's here for a while. Yeah. It's in a good part. An incredible talent and yeah. a great uh, great chemistry that you guys have. Well, we're trying. We're working on it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's getting better. It's it's it really. It's I mean, it's a signature news team uh, for KMOV. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Steve Savard here on the Tim McKernan Show. One of our sponsors who's been with us from the very beginning is James Carlton, and I, I know you've heard me talk about him if you've been listening to these for a while. But here's the deal: this isn't just like a guy who's kind of a buddy. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll sponsor your podcast. He knew we had something going here. He liked the idea, and he got on board, and then I got on board with him, and I've gotten to know him, and especially the business of insurance, much better, and I have an appreciation for how good he is at it. His number is 314-961-4800, and he's online at carltoninsurance.net. There is a difference. Now, I know there are hundreds of insurance agents out there, and when it gets down to it, most people are going to go to the person who is going to save you the most money. Well, James can save you money. There's no question about that, but... His staff is phenomenal, and he hires many people to make sure that when you call, you're not going to go to voicemail or going to go to somebody who's disinterested or answering service based out of somewhere else. They're in St. Louis. They're in Webster Groves, and the switch is easy. They do all the work for you. Just take one phone call to James Carlton State Farm, 314-961-4800, or apply online at carltoninsurance.net. People do business with James because they like and trust him. And I can go a step further. He knows insurance. He is the person to go to. If you're buying a home with Ryan Kelly, 
Well, you're going to need insurance. Why not get a quote from a top agency and provider of the number one home insurer in North America, State Farm? That's James Carlton. The James Carlton Agency, State Farm Insurance in Webster Groves, 314-961-4800, 314-961-4800, or online at carltoninsurance.net. So something that I'm, I can't wait to hear your perspective on, of course, is, is the Rams. I know where you're going. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your perspective on it. It would have been more interesting 40, uh, 24 months ago. And 24 months ahead, ago. Yeah. I mean, throughout that whole process, how hip to, to the situation were you? Do you look back zero. on it? Zero? I no, did it purposefully. You, I'll let you finish. No, but. I'm just I'm just curious. Do you look back on it and go, oh, they lied to me here, they lied to me there? I don't say me. I think they. my whole thing is the community. I never... I was, I'm not a victim in this, okay? I had an incredible opportunity for 16 years to do this as a second job. Now, I didn't realize until I stepped away from it what my life was for five years, and that's not complaining. It's what I signed up for. But I was on the hump for five months a year for 16 years. But what, a, what an incredible second job to call NFL football in your hometown. It didn't work out for me in the NFL. This was as close as I've gotten. Um, I worked six years with I, three great partners, but I worked six years with a guy who was close enough to be my brother. Uh, Your relationship with Jack Snow was the best. Maybe they my really, best friend. Uh, yeah, I mean, you I know, mean, um, and I don't know if people. I don't know if people knew that. It's interesting because I interviewed Mike Bush for the show, and he talked about, and it was, I guess, for us, it was no secret that they didn't hit it off. I don't. I think right. some people maybe when they heard Mike talk about it didn't know that. Uh, but you came in there. And you guys hit it off instantaneously. Well, but you, you would like hang out together. You remember how many times Jack would come into the station for yeah, Sunday night? It was, night. It was, it was that full started entertainment. Before, that started before you got there. I started on the broadcast team in 98. And then, oddly enough, 99, Mike and I were both on the broadcast team. He had the big job. I was just doing sideline and some and pregame and halftime. And we got along great. I have great respect for Mike. We saw each other at the uh, debate, the presidential debate, a year and a half ago. And we sat and talked for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. um, that was never an issue. But so Jack would come in. You saw it. You know, you know Jack's personality. We, we started to form a bond before that, and it only solidified. So we became really— we Was became, the bond rooted in the fact that you both played? I mean, I recognize, obviously, he had a Jack was, kind of career. But. Yeah. No, Jack—and I say it all the time. But Jack was incredibly generous with me. Whenever it would come up, Jack treated me like an NFL peer who had played 10 years. And I'm a Joe Vitt guy. It is what it is. Nobody wants to hear my sad story. I have no doubt I could have played six or seven or eight years. I wouldn't have been Lawrence Taylor. But I was in the process my second year of, of establishing myself when— you know, an injury ended it. What was that? Was that a practice injury? It was a scrimmage. Yeah, it scrimmage. was a neck injury. So, and you were playing for Tom Landry, were you not? Yes. The only man that fired me he did it twice. Is that right? He did it twice. He got you yeah. twice. He got me twice. <laughs> but the second time, he really didn't, you know, have any choice. But uh, uh, he got me twice. Um, so Snow respected but, but Jack. Jack. Yeah, he respected, and and he just said to me, "This is funny. It was night. It was uh, ninety eight. Was the first time we talked. He was at Thompson Hall in Macomb." He was, uh, we had seen each other for several years and really not talked much. Maybe this was 97. And we were outside. He was taking a smoke break after dinner, and I was going back out to the live truck to put together a 10 o'clock show. And uh, he grabbed me and he says, uh, you see, I watch you on TV. He goes, man, you work a lot of long hours. He goes, bother you? And I said, no, you know, it is what it is. He goes, uh, he said for something, he goes, you don't, you handle yourself differently. And I said, Oh, oh, here we go again. Is my arrogance? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he goes, go. no, you just yeah. handle yourself like you're a former athlete. You were a former athlete. And I said, yeah. I said, I, it, there isn't much to talk about, you know. And um, anyway, that's how we struck up. I said, hey, would you ever want to come on my Sunday night show? So he'd show up. I'd say, do you want a limo? No. Do you want any pizza? Remember, those are the two inducements. <laughs> that's, inducements that's all we got. Yeah. yeah. 
And no. And then he'd show up and he'd walk, work the newsroom and say, do you believe this son of a... He said, he won't even get me a ride here and no pizza. Can I at least get a Pepsi? And so we just... One of the great ball busters of all time. Absolutely. He lived for it. And um, we had a great... I mean, it was just the whole crew. Jim Stassi, our producer. Yeah, I miss Stassi. Malcolm. Yep. Um, and then Mike Martz made it a ton of fun. But uh, going back to your point, did I feel left out? No. I, I feel fortunate for 16 years to have the job. The people I feel bad for, the people that invested... Look... The average person that buys season tickets, they're making a tough choice with disposable income. And they're doing so. And I met so many people who had PSLs for the whole 21 years. And let me tell you something. They stuck through a 2-22 and 22 home record for three years. They stuck through 15-65. and 65. So I feel like they were the ones lied to. Forget me. I'm not part of the equation. I stayed out of it because I didn't want to be compromised that year. But it hit yeah, me. Yeah, you're in a tough You know what hit me, Tim? It was uh, December of... Uh, 15 when the relocation information the relocation application the details of that came out that was a load of grade a crap mm. okay that was a torch job to st louis that was so unnecessary so i had decided i told my wife i said i'm done she goes what do you mean you're done i said well they could be if they don't get approved they come back for lame duck year i'm finished i'm not doing it she said you sure and i said yeah so we left the booth in santa clara they had just beaten the seahawks the week before and then they go up and stumble classic Rams, um, and they stumble, and we're leaving the booth and going downstairs. And I didn't know what was going to happen four days later, five days later, the NFL owners meeting, but I stopped, and, and I was just kind of nostalgic outside the booth, and I looked back because I knew that was it for me. And DeMarco goes, come on, what do you, we'll be back. And I didn't say anything, and he just kind of looked at me. And, um, you know, the decision was made four or five days later. I was at peace. I said my goodbyes about two two weeks afterwards. I said my goodbyes to a couple of people in an email at Rams Park. Said, "Hey, I've enjoyed it, but if there's any, you know, any thought about and and I I don't know that they would have wanted me. I think they might have, but as I said, there's any thought of it. I'm not interested. You know, St. Louis is my home, and I don't really I don't cotton to what you did here. So, what do you think? I realize we probably are in the same camp on this, but maybe you have a better perspective. That's one thing that I think everybody, I can't remember who I interviewed, who said I really have a problem with the way they went out with exactly what you were saying, that application, and just like kicking uh, kicking St. Louis when it's down. What, what do you think? I still don't get that approach. My guess is they had to scorch as much earth as possible. They were trying to say, and Jerry Jones, I guess, helped facilitate this. You remember the original vote was 5-1 to one for Carson, right. not Inglewood. Right. And then by four hours, five hours later, it's 30-2. closed door and yeah. meeting, magically, yes. So they wanted to show the NFL that there's no possible way you could send us back to St. Louis because the earth is scorched. And they end up scorching the earth. Here's what really pissed me off, more than even the relocation process. I remember at 101, uh, great organization to work for. John Kioski, Haas. Again, I, I was fortunate to work for guys in radio that, that were friends of mine. So it never felt like I was working with them. Jim Stassi and, mm-hmm. and Chris Newport. And uh, so I remember in April of 14, Kevin Demoff in there in the fast lane saying, people were questioning, look, we understand Stan's bought a piece of property. And we know this was after the August morning where Stan called him and said, I found our next stadium. Yes, He said, I can promise you it's, not, it's one thing to lie in general, but to go with your biggest vendor, the people that have been there and promoting you and, and up until that point probably paying five or $600,000 a year for to lie through your teeth, find a way not to lie. Politicians do it all the time. Just avoid the question. To lie through your teeth on your flagship station, that's the only thing. That's what sticks out in my mind. They did what they had to do. Um, I still feel I still have great friends in the organization. 
the first year, I think we all got caught up in hate watching and kind of enjoyed it, even though I, I am, a, I like Jeff Fisher a lot. I know a lot of people in St. Louis, if you'd ever meet Jeff, you'd like Jeff. Mm-hmm. Jeff's a good dude. Uh, I, I'll, I'll stick by that. But we didn't want to see them have success. I think there was so much turnover after the first year. I think we all kind of moved on a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. At least that's how I looked at it. And then I watch and, and see the job that Sean McVay did. It's pretty remarkable in one year. And the only thing I say is I have a lot of friends in that organization that I'm happy that they don't have to go through more losing. Okay? Yeah. That's the bright side. Yeah. But do I find myself rooting for the Rams? No. Yeah. But I'm also not caught up in rooting against them. It just doesn't matter to me anymore. I've moved on. From the other side of it, this is something that isn't often talked about in St. Louis. There's an article uh, I've, I've gone back and, and researched. Dan Deardorff has quoted, I think, I think it's in 2008, give or take a year, that if the CVC doesn't get its act together, we're going to lose this football team. This is in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. That's something that's gotten a lot of attention. Uh, we talked about it on our show, but that only has, you know, so many people who are listening to it. So is there anything, as somebody in the position you're in as a news anchor, and of course in the position you were in as the team's play-by-play guy, that you can look back on and go, yeah, here's some spots where St. Louis messed up. Easier said than done. How many? We were trying to build a second stadium in 25 years. How many teams, how many, how many cities have done that? Yeah. I think Atlanta. But that 92 stadium, the Georgia Dome, was built with Olympic money. Uh, Arthur Blank was committed to Atlanta. The, the Rams could have had, let's put, let's put the blame right where it belongs. Stan Kroenke's the guy with $8 billion or $10 billion. He could have had a stadium built at any time. If Shad Khan had bought the team, I think that stadium would be done by now in the North Riverfront or close to it. He didn't want to build it. So in St. Louis... Where the city of St. Louis, where you got the city and the county fighting against each other, not unified, okay, or at least competing against each other for funds. You're trying to build a second stadium in 25 years. They had to go around taxpayers because they knew they could not get the vote. They knew they could not get approved to go spend another 200 or $300 million when you're still paying off the previous stadium. So it's easy to say they didn't get their act together. I don't know what we could have done that would have changed the outcome looking back. The arbitration process turned out to be a dog and pony show. I think if, if it, maybe this is where Dan was going and I buy some of this, the proposal set forth by the city was not good enough. We knew that to start with, but by the same token, the ridiculous $800 renovation that would have shut down the, shut down the convention center for three years to convention traffic. That's, that's part of the lifeblood of the city and done all that was not realistic either. So all they did that, all they had to do was win the arbitration process. They did hands down, and that gave them the upper hand. Now, maybe St. Louis should have come with a better offer, and it wouldn't have been such an easy decision for that judge to make or for the arbitrator to make. But in this day and age, when the city has issues and the school system is perceived as failing and there's crime and everything else. You're going to get a, you're going to get taxpayers to pony up another $200 million for a guy who's worth 10 billion. Good luck. Do you think would Stan Kroenke exercise his right of first refusal over shot con that he knew he was going to move the team to Los Angeles? Yes, I do. I think that was long-term plan. I don't know if there was something that could have saved it. I think they had decided they were going to, the first thing was they were going to win the arbitration process. And, um, Yes. Yeah, I do. I think the long term was he saw the riches and he saw how much the value of his franchise would increase by going to L.A. And I think he wanted to be that guy that brought football back to L.A. So I don't know there's anything we could have done other than, you know, Shad Khan stepping in, because I do believe they'd be playing right now in a new stadium. I point blank. Kevin Dumoff and I would have a number of conversations and and, uh, 
they were not on the radio. And I said to him, I said, I mean, Stan knew he was going to move that team when he when he exercised his right of refusal, first refusal. And he said, it's not necessarily true. Okay. Well, he, well, he no, told I'm me the same thing. No, yeah. you told me well, the same I mean, thing. That, 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 we know that doesn't necessarily mean that. The, yeah. What he said was, we knew we would either get a, a great stadium in St. Louis or we would have the option of going to Los Angeles. That's what he said. No, and maybe there's some truth in that. Yeah. But again, uh, I, I had a great relationship with the Rams for 16 years. It was treated great. Um, it was nothing but great for me, but I, I'm severely disappointed. But had they come back for a lame duck season, I'd, I called my wife on the bus that day, and I said, I'm done. She goes, That's you it. sure? And oh. I said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not coming back. and Because uh, I knew it wouldn't be for more than one year anyway, and it, I didn't need the money that bad. Do you miss calling NFL games? Absolutely. Really? Miss it. Miss it. Don't miss the schedule. Um, I miss the excitement. I miss being around football. I miss a lot of the guys. I miss uh, the relationship you build with a coach. Um, I, I just, yeah, I miss the I miss the broadcast team. I miss the, you know, the the broadcast teams that you come across, especially in your own division that you see twice a year. Yeah. It's kind of a brotherhood. Yeah. It's kind of a fraternity. Yeah. So I miss all that part of it. Yeah. Do you have interest in getting back into it? Yeah, Tim. I've thought about it. The problem is. NFL football was so convenient for my schedule. You know, you it was a little less convenient sports director-wise. I mean, we stood, we had a lot of Sunday nights on rooftops. That's right. And then get up at 4 in the morning and then slough our way through uh, airports. I'd get home, then i have a radio show, then I'd have three sportscasts, and i have another radio show with a coach that night. So um, some of that, you know, that part of it you, you don't miss, but... Um, I certainly miss the game. and But the problem is now I owe Channel 4 five days a week. And to what, are you try Sunday to, through Thursday? Is that what you're doing? Or no, Friday, I'm, I'm Monday through Friday. Friday. Okay. And um, so to leave and call the college football game on Saturday, you may have to leave on Thursday, Friday. To, if by some chance you would get any kind of NFL bone thrown to you, you'd be leaving on Friday. It's just a tough thing when they're paying you to be your primary news anchor. Right. And, and so it, it you know. One day maybe I'll have your entrepreneurial spirit and just say, okay, I've had enough of TV news and I'm going to try to make it full-time and I haven't come to that point yet. Yeah. But if too much time goes by, it's probably going to be too late. So I'm curious about that because I feel like if you wanted to, you could do something else. Do you have interest what in What do you mean? You mean play-by-play-wise? There's a variety. Play-by-play, certainly. Radio. Radio, certainly. And news beyond St. Louis. And I know it's an awkward oh, conversation because you're, you're, I'm sure, under contract at KMOV, and I'm not looking to stir the pot at all. I'm just right. curious if that's something where you go, yeah, you know what, I'm kind of, just like you were, I guess, eight or nine years ago, where you're kind of like, yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I'm interested in this news thing. I didn't realize that you had thought about the offer to you in Hartford as much as yeah. you had, you know? Well, you know, it's tough. After 25 years, you're somewhere, you're going to start over. Um, and then the other thing is, really, at this point, job, you know, you'd really need an agent. And am, am I interested at this point in turning, if I decided to go full bore into play by play, of course I would get an agent, I think. But do I want to turn my career over to an agent to go be a news anchor somewhere else? The grass isn't always greener. So there's some of that you think about. And I signed a four-year deal a couple of years ago. So I had those conversations at home. I had those conversations with myself. And um, I just thought at the bit, you know, there's great benefits. There's paying into your union, which I've done for 25 years now and would like to continue doing. So, um, I don't know for now. I'm happy doing what I'm doing, but I do miss calling football. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. The, do you stay in touch with like Mike Martz? Do you stay in touch with, 
Yeah, occasionally. I mean, we we they've had events here. Um, Mike and I exchange emails once in a while. Um, you know, uh, DeMarco sent me a nice text. We don't stay in touch. DeMarco and I didn't have the kind of relationship Jack and I did or Handy did, but we, I, who's a fantastic partner. I think when DeMarco, when he and I, after seven years, I think he was tied for first among local radio TV, I mean, local radio guys in the NFL. He was tremendous, a great partner. But we just didn't stay in touch. He sent me on Christmas Eve when they clinched the division uh, against Tennessee. I went back. We were having people over the house, and I went back, and my phone was buzzing. I looked. It was a text from DeMarco, and this is the kind of guy DeMarco is big heart. He said, I can't help but think you should be here for this. Oh. And that was a nice nod to how many bad years there were in there. Uh, people make fun about the 7 and 9, hashtag 7 and 9. Th- those were the glory years of the last 12 years. They really were. The Rams were competitive. They were disappointing. But think about going 1 and 15, 15 and 65. And so I said, he and I always had fun, but imagine how much fun we would have had had this team been a playoff team those years. And so yeah. I, I really appreciate him thinking of me, but I said, hey, partner, you enjoy it. I know you will. I'm fine. Do you think if the Rams win against the Patriots, they move? I, I realize I'm kind of <sighs> going, but, I mean, if you think about wow. the domino effect of all of the things that happened, and, I, and you're privy to way more than I am. Oh, well, you saw it. You saw, yeah, but you I mean, saw how that split Because Mark's kind of, you know, I think became paranoid. Well, I think uh, there was blame everywhere. I mean, before you had a unified front, and now everybody's kind of— Right. And so your question is, are they still here if they win the Super yes. Bowl? Because I think—the reason I ask it, Steve, is because I think that even though, granted, I mean, they're only in that building at that point for seven years, which is amazing to think. That was built in 95. I mean, it was built over a few years, but they opened in 95. That's two, February of 2002. There would have been more equity— had that team won, because I think they wouldn't have had the step back that they had in 2002. Who knows what would have happened with Kurt Warner, obviously, he, justifiably so. He they might have won, and if they won that one, they might have won more that's, than one Super Bowl. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm extrapolating hypotheticals. Yeah, 03 was a flawed year. I mean, if they played better against Carolina, they, they might have ended up in the Super Bowl. Oh, I still... Uh, you know, um, so no, I think, that's a, I think it's a, a great question. I haven't thought about it, but there's a much better chance. I think that really splintered the organization. Right. And I don't think it, they never, the organization never really fully recovered from that Super Bowl loss. And that's a shame because I will tell you this firsthand it was a cohesive, there may have been some dysfunction. People made fun of Georgia, but here's the thing Georgia stayed out of the day to day operation. She didn't know football and she didn't try to, she didn't try to put her stamp on things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there could have been some more leadership from the top to bring the parties together and say, look, you coach, you manage the cap, right. you bring in players. You're fabulous. Now get together and let's bury this. Right. Um, and I think, who knows? Maybe that wasn't possible. But had they done that, I would have liked to have seen how many more Super Bowls and how long that would have gone on. Is there a moment in your career as Rams play-by-play man that stands out to you? Perhaps one that isn't soft because you weren't on the call of nope. Super Bowl 34. That was a good call by Mike, by the way. I mean, Mike, Mike, I go back and listen to Mike, Mike, that was a good game called by Mike Bush. He was very hard on himself when he said, I know Mike year. was always very hard on himself and everything else, but look, people, people chipped away at me my first year in the job too. So, um, boy, I'm trying to th- I mean, they, 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 they won the NFC championship against the Eagles at the dome. It didn't have the signature Ricky Prohl Tampa Bay play. Yeah, the New Orleans, the New Orleans Super Bowl. I was so sick that week with 102 fever. That's right. My, my I voice forgot was about my voice that. was cracking. I didn't think I was going to have a voice. I was so I sick. I hated. That. I hated that day. I, I, I don't well, know. You, I mean, you should have been in it. I, I think the whole thing really. I think for me, it, I wasn't the play-by-play guy at the time. But for me, winning the Super Bowl 
in January of 2000 or February, whatever date that was. January 30th. January 30th. And being on that field for, we just blew out the show. We had an hour show, as you know, 52 weeks a year. How big a nut was that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, 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 oh, that yeah. consumed us. That was legit. We did two hours out of commercial break, and, and Tim Clusaris would just bring out player after player, and we'd sit two down next to me, and we'd just go crazy, and we'd end up high-fiving, and it was, mm-hmm. it was great. So then the next day, it continued. The greatest day I've had in broadcasting was sitting in a cherry picker above Market Street in freezing cold weather with Larry Connors for four hours, co-hosting the parade coverage. And it was the greatest thing I've ever seen in St. Louis because not only because we were celebrating such an unlikely championship, the city came together like it does for Cardinals parades, but we kind of expect the Cardinals. It's not, a, it's not, it doesn't come out of nowhere when the Cardinals have a great year. This came out of nowhere mm. and everybody behaved themselves. Nobody turned over cars. Nobody set anything on fire. Windows weren't broken. Worst thing you could have had was somebody urinating in public, okay? It goes every, everywhere in a golf course. As Hannafin once reminded me, somebody, a player was busted. We were doing a radio show, and a player was busted for, I think it was Joey Galloway was busted for urinating in, down, in, in, in the streets in Dallas one time. And he said, Stephen, hey, how many times have you whipped it out on a golf course? Um, but, Good impression, by yeah, the way. well, uh, I love the man. But, um no, it's it, that was the greatest day I've had. So that kind of stands out to me. I was above there all as a fan. I was there as a Were fan. I, I took the week off from Little Rock to come back just to be in St. Louis for that. Do you remember how drunk Skinina and Wistrom were? Yes, I do, actually. It was freezing like, cold. Warren was trying to make a big speech, and then those guys were kind of playing the role and of and uh, Kelsey in Philadelphia this jump, year. <laughs> they kept jumping out. They had their shirts off. First of all, we were in a cherry picker for four hours. When I got back to the station, I couldn't feel any toe, and I would have <laughs> stayed there another hour. They're running around. The police and the security could not keep them in the flat in the back of the truck. <laughs> They're running around, high five and fans falling down. They had been up all night drinking, and it was just uh, it was the day that stands out to me above uh-huh. all days in, in thirty almost thirty years of broadcasting. I, uh, it's inevitable that that people will draw parallels. I'm sure you've heard it between you and Mike Bush. I mean, the sports to news both right. called the Rams, uh, both at this point staples in St. Louis. <laughs> And I asked Mike Bush, and I was kind of surprised by his response to this, now that he sat on the news desk. And he's not a St. Louisan, unlike you, Chicago right. guy, but been here since, what, 84 at this point. If it bothers him to see, at the very least, the perception of the state of St. Louis as it, as it is at this moment in 2018, you're seeing things now from the news desk as opposed to the sports desk, where sometimes we're pontificating on things that we don't really know what's going Great on. Point. You see it now. How do what you did Mike say? He was. I was stunned by it. Was it was Mike Bush, who we always kind of picture as going to stay right down the middle, and right. and he's like, it, it it really bothers me, really bothers me. Yeah. And he mentioned what you had just mentioned, the city and county division, which seems to be gaining steam as far as a talking point here over the Rams uh, leaving, and then also the MLS uh, rejection, uh, you know, a year ago or a year and a half ago, whatever it was. So I'm curious what your perspective is on it. As again, as a St. Louis, but now somebody who is. Been in the sports chair, but now in the news chair. Well, here's the thing. There were so many years, for 18 years, I'd hear Larry or Julius or Vicky or whoever it was. Miriam Wright? Remember yeah, Miriam Wright? Miriam Wright, absolutely. Um, Donna Severis? I do, I do remember okay. Donna Severis. So we're all down memory lane here at Channel yeah. 4. Uh, I'd hear shooting it on Hodemont. I'd hear shooting on Coat Brilliant. I'd hear drug deal gone bad at MLK and Goodfellow. And so for 18 years, it never... It's out here. My my world in sports revolved around Rams Park, downtown, Bush Stadium, a high school football field, or wherever else. So when I moved to news, 
One of the things they did with us, they insisted that Sharon and I do, is we got and do report on stories. Twice a week we're doing stories, and we still do it. We do a franchise now called uh, St. Louis Proud. It's been end violence. We work with Better Family Life. I have seen now in five years more parts of the city. I grew up here. I've lived here for 44 of my 54 years. In, in the last five years, I've seen more parts of the city than in the other 39 years. And I'm kind of ashamed that I think I knew everything there was to know, and I haven't gone and seen. I've driven from 70 on Goodfellow to MLK. I've gone and done stories with Jeffrey Boyd on Lotus Avenue in the 22nd Ward where his nephew was gunned down and killed. It doesn't make me an expert, but it makes me more connected to my community. I understand now what I'm talking about better than, than the first month I would have read stories. And so it does pain me. I see that we have a lot of work to do. And if anything, my, my judgment was clouded. I'm not sure we should have spent $200 million on another stadium just to placate it and a guy worth $8 billion. I'm sorry I lost the job. I'm sorry Rams fans lost their football team. But there's a part of me that understands that argument better now than I did five years ago, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And is. so it pained me. Like I said, Ferguson, we had no script for that. They'd never, we'd never seen that in St. Louis. And particularly the night of the grand jury announcement and when 10 buildings were on fire at one time and Sky Zoom 4 was going from one to another and we're going for a reporter. And um, so I wanted to be part of that. So, yeah, I understand what Mike is saying. Mike's been here long enough. This is his community. I mean, he's done a tremendous amount of charity work here. Mike's got nothing to prove to anybody. He's a St. Louisan. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I understand what he's saying because the best days we have are days when we actually have uh, – we're taping this on a Tuesday. On a Thursday, I've got a story, a St. Louis Proud story. And we've been doing a lot of the – I call low-hanging fruit where we talk about toasted ravioli or Clydesdales. Or, nice. And um, – Sounds like the favorite French fry discussion we have yes. five days a week on well, our show. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to find stories that are off the radar. And, and Better Family Life has nine outreach workers that go out and canvas the neighborhoods and make a difference. And I focused on two of them. One's a former felon who turned his life around. These people inspire me. I'm, I'm not trying to be maudlin and dramatic and sound. But I go to work, and what I do every day really isn't that significant. But I have a platform that can help people who are significant. And so that's what I want to do. I tried to find the story, and it's going to air Thursday night at 6. I don't know when this runs. This will be up, what, today, right? Uh, yeah, it'll be up on Monday. April actually. 16th, up on Monday. So it'll already run, but you could probably see it on – I may post it on my Facebook page, Camel V, but that's the kind of stuff that I like doing now. I want to, I want to focus on people that are truly making a difference. I focused on the athletes. I focused on wins and losses and all that. But now, in the last five years, I get a chance to meet people who actually – make it their mission every day. Can you imagine going out in the streets? And in some of these situations, Joe Robinson, who I interviewed, Joe Robinson, who I interviewed, is going into alleys, and guys are, are drawing guns on him. And by the time he's done, 20 minutes later, he's handing out their card, and they're filling out sheets, and he's trying to get people help that they don't even know is there because he, he's been down that road. So those are the people. And another woman, um, Rashonda Johnson, who walks the streets by herself and goes and meets people and changes people's lives. That, that's making a difference. And mm-hmm. so if we can do that, you know, that, that beats sitting there reading, you know, the bubble-headed bleach bond comes on at 5, tell you about the dirty laundry. Don Henley was singing about it 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? You're more of a, you feel more well-rounded now as a broadcaster after being in the anchor chair? Yeah. And yeah. I feel more well-rounded as a St. Louis. And like I said, I I said, I heard the story. I don't want to ever go to Hodemont. Well, I've walked Hodemont. It doesn't mean I've walked it in the middle of 
doesn't make me a brave guy, right. but it makes me more connected with what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I feel like I'm a better, I'm a better rounded St. Louisan. Um, you know, and I think for me, I'm so invested now. The problem would be going to another market. With my luck, yeah. it'd probably be Sheboygan. <laughs> you go back to Billings. It wouldn't be Atlanta. Glorious return. It would be uh, it would be Sheboygan or Schenectady. <laughs> As Julius and Larry used to joke all the time, how do you get to Schenectady? Bad rating. Um, that would be my break. Yeah. It wouldn't be a top ten market. But seriously, going as another and, and being as invested as I can be. First of all, just learning the city. Yeah. So you know who knows. Yeah. But if if I finish here and this is as good as it gets, I've been fortunate. I've yeah. been very fortunate. And again, is it something you would want to do? Another? I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know what the time frame would be. Decade, fifteen years? I don't know. I don't think so. First of all, there's a shelf life. I'm not going to be the sixty-five year old guy. Yeah. I'm not going to be the sixty-five year old guy holding on. I'm not the guy that says, "Please keep me." Anyway, I'm the guy that says, "Oh, okay, I'll walk out the door." Yeah. I'm not going to be holding anybody. And to be honest with you, there have been times recently where I thought about you know just. If TV doesn't work out, going into radio. I mean, I, I really enjoy radio. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Sports or news? The, the news situation interests me, but I would have to have a, a producer, a, a producer or a staff that would understand what kind of news show I want to do. I don't want to just pontificate and pound the table. Yeah. I want to have a. I want to have an intellectual discussion. I want someone to. I want someone to educate me about why I'm wrong about something. Doesn't mean I'm going to change my mind, but I want to hear the perspective. In, in, but I, I think I would enjoy the right sports show. Yeah. Um, I couldn't do a show where I only talk sports. I'd be bored out of my mind. See, I think I, I would too, Tim. I would absolutely be bored out of my mind. I mean, it's something that we've talked about on the show, and since you brought up radio now, and I had no idea that was something you were even thinking. Not to say you're thinking about it for the record, <laughs> right, but just having the discussion. Two guys talking. Yes, absolutely. That uh, when it comes to political coverage specifically, I don't know. That's not to say the person doesn't exist or the outlet doesn't exist. And so we're talking national at this point where I go, this person, I don't know where they're going to come down on a topic. I feel like once the news is announced, I know where Sean Hannity's going to be and I know where Rachel Maddow is going to be before I even see their show. And so if there is a show where somebody is open to changing their mind and or having at one point a considered left-wing perspective on something and another point, a right-wing perspective on it, I think I think that the market, and I'm not talking about St. Louis as a market, I'm talking about the market of broadcasting, I think there will be a backlash or there could be a backlash to what is going on right now where it is hardcore wing discussions as opposed to back and so? forth. I don't know. I still think that... Uh, but, well, the show you're talking about doing certainly wouldn't fall under that umbrella, it sounds no, like. No, I know. Yeah. Uh, but you see that... You see the... the you, here's the deal. CNN, although you, you can say the CNN hosts do have... They clearly have their own political slant. They have more of a representative panel discussion, at least in prime time every mm-hmm. night. You watch Anderson Cooper for two hours. You know where he stands, but he's not pounding his fist on the table. He's right. not calling people names. And... They do a decent job of representing both sides, okay? It's slanted more one way than the other. But CNN, my point here is that CNN is dwarfed in the ratings by both Fox News and MSNBC. I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah. So I don't know if my idea is viable for that show. Um, and I really, maybe, wish, I I really not, wish it I, was. I may not be the that. guy to pull it off either. Yeah. Um, I've always, I don't think I could do a show by myself. Uh, I'll tell you two people that, had I had great interest in doing a show with it when, at some point. Rick Venturi, when he was in town. Oh, yeah. Rick, oh, became, Rick became John Seymour's yeah. high-fiving over yeah, there. Johnny, was, John was, worked with him. produced for him. He was fantastic. We did a TV show together that would air, What to Watch, and then we did radio. And when we would do radio, I literally, and I, I don't, 
I would have buddies that don't ever call me about anything. They go, man, you guys are really good together. Rick was just so easy. And he was one of those rare guys that made the transition from coaching, and he was instantly great yeah, at radio. He was. And then the other one would be Vaughn. Because I think I know I've worked with Vaughn for 25 years, and I know how to push the buttons. And I know that I'm, ha- I'm always happy. If you ever watch Channel 4, and maybe you come back once in a while, but when he's on, I'm usually straight man to him when right. he's finishing at the <laughs> desk. And you, I, I get a lot of comments. You can tell you guys have worked together for right. a long time because I know where he's coming from. It would have to be the right person to want to work with or an ensemble group that, like, you guys, you guys have fun. I want to have fun. Yeah. Whatever I do, I don't want to go to work and be miserable. There was a three- or four-year period at Channel 4 where it was kind of miserable. That was like Chained to the desk, wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, somewhere in there, maybe a three-year period. Yeah. I don't want that anymore. I, I, whatever I do, I want to have fun, and I don't want to, uh, you know, I, I want to feel like I'm, I'm doing something that's at least somewhat significant i think that'd be good i legitimately think that'd be good i wasn't even thinking about it until you brought it up but i'm like yeah that'd be a kind of show that i'd yeah. be intrigued to hear because i don't think you would do the you know this is the way it is and you know come at me bro you know well, that I, type of I, stuff i come from a, a gen- i mean back in the day this is kind of weird you, you didn't leave the voting booth wearing who you voted for on your sleeve everybody's just you voted you respected people's opinions it wasn't and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it you can whatever you like but I will tell you this, there's nothing special. I said there's nothing special about what I do for a living. But I will tell you this, the average person doesn't have the discipline to live in social media world like we do and not jump in. Yeah, yeah. And it's a no-no. It is absolute no-no. I'm, I'm one of those guys that guard, safeguards social media and check all your opinions at the door when you come into Channel 4. It doesn't matter what you think or what your political, leaning, political leanings are. Do not do that. But it takes discipline to stay out of the fray. When I see somebody posting something left or right, about the most ridiculous third world patch over com, you know, and they, they think that's a credible source and they've worked sources for two years. And they're just posting opinions from someone's basement. And so I see that every day yeah. and people conflate that with News. mainstream media. Right. And so that's the frustrating part. I would imagine that's frustrating in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed the hell out of this. Same I kept here. you. I kept you. I think ninety minutes. That Same seems here. to be kind of my sweet spot. Well, I've, it's all people minutes. can actually make in the sauna. Here. <laughs> yeah. I've got. I mean, this I've, thing this is brand new. And this it's like, is. Uh, oh. I felt like for a moment there, it passed through my mind. I had malaria. <laughs> But that's just the sweat running we down my back. These studios aren't even like nine months old. And we, we do have a return issue in here. But I enjoy I, the reason I brought up and then we whatever. That, that's what I do. I'm sure I brought up like 10 things. And people are like, how come you never finished it, moron? That, me, of course, being the moron. But uh, and that is there was a podcast, Mark Marin. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. I don't listen often. I subscribe to it, but I don't usually listen to the episodes. He's a former comedian who has a podcast. It's one of the most successful podcasts. And I guess he auditioned for Saturday Night Live. And something happened with him and Lorne Michaels. I don't know what happened. And he finally got a chance to sit down with Lorne Michaels and they hashed it out on the podcast. And I thought to myself when the Seamaster said, Steve Savard's going to come in on Tuesday, I go, oh, wow, this will be the Mark Maron, so, Lorne Michaels. So Seamer's the guy that put this together. Here I am thinking, here McKern is throwing an olive branch. We're going to get along great. And you were no, just, you were just kind of thrilled. forced into it. No, no, no. no. I, I was and, thrilled. John, I, did I hesitate when you asked? No, obviously not. No, no but this, I mean, this I, has been fun. Yeah. We had we had too much history for five years together for let I, you know. I, that's why I'm so disappointed. In well, myself. it's all right. I didn't. I didn't no, say I, that I know, for that. I know you're bigger. I don't than live. That. In, I don't live in the. I don't live in the past I or whatever know, but else. Still, I just it's it was public. You know, it's one thing if it's like okay, we had a disagreement and it's private, but I was public with, it, and it's just like. But it would get back to me. Uh, I, didn't, I never. I never felt the need to answer. I figured this would go away. Yeah, was, I know, you were pissed. Whatever else, it's not. You know, it's not. Uh, 
It, it wasn't to me. It, it didn't matter. Um, I figured one day we'd run in. We, we don't run into each yeah, other. I don't leave the house unless I you see, come by my living I room. I see your you're dad, see you know, all the time and stuff. And I'd, I'd ask how you're doing, and he'd say great. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, so yeah. But uh, he never punched me in the face. So I figured well, you'd have I figured, to get on a step ladder. I figured the thing you I used I in New York. Figured you and I. Well, I've had seven orthopedic surgeries, so I might go down a little easier than, than, than ten or twelve, thirteen years ago. So, well, I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much for coming in. Man. It was fun to go down memory lane and uh, and just BS. Thanks, I enjoyed Steve. it, and congrats on on your success post Channel Four. Thank I mean, you so much. I asked people all the time two things is life after tv good and is retirement good and i keep wanting to hear yes and yes <laughs> i can tell you life after channel four has been yeah good. you're a ways away from retirement thing, yeah. but uh thanks tim so there it is my conversation with steve savard a conversation that i intended to have happen like at a bar in 2005 or 2006 and instead it happened in 2018 in a podcast studio um but i hope you enjoyed it i don't know maybe it did. I, I, this one it's like you know like the kelly chase interview for example People, I've gotten a bunch of content. Oh, you were so good with Kelly Chase. Here's the reality. Anybody could have done the Kelly Chase interview because Kelly Chase is so good. That's that's kind of, that's that. Um, but I knew as I was sitting there, I knew before we even started the interview with Kelly Chase that that was going to be well-received. Why? Because Kelly Chase is so good. So sometimes, you know, in the midst of the Chris Kerber interview, I knew that one was going to be the Mike Matheny interview. I knew that was, this one, I don't know. And I'm not inviting you. Yeah, I didn't care. It sucked. But I'm curious because, you know, it was it was a personal situation and we're sitting there having this conversation um, before we get into, you know, the Rams and KMOV and all of this stuff. Uh, and so there there it played out. But I wanted it to happen. I went home uh, the night we did the interview and uh, said to my wife, I said, it's a weird thing. Uh but I really wanted to have that conversation because I truly felt bad about it. I, and like I said, I'm embarrassed. Um, and I and he was owed an apology by me. So whether it happened in a podcast studio or it happened face to face or even over the phone, certainly didn't want to go back down the email road or text. Uh, it, I wanted it to happen. So there it was. It happened. Now, in addition, uh, you had the Rams conversation and. Uh, it really does. It, it's one of those things you kind of you kind of grind through it. If the Rams won Super Bowl thirty six, the organization stays on a much better track, doesn't fall apart in two thousand two, probably in a better position in two thousand three, and most likely has more equity with St. Louis to get something done as far as a stadium. That's my perspective. Now you could say. Well, no matter what, Georgia Frontier is going to pass away. And no matter what, the estate tax was going to lead to her, uh, you know, son and daughter having to sell the team. And Stan Kroenke had the right of first refusal. So that was just going to have to happen. And Stan Kroenke was always going to move the team to Los Angeles. And maybe that is true. Um, I do think, and Steve and I both said we heard this from Kevin Demoff. I didn't know he had heard this from Kevin Demoff, but we both say it, that Kevin Demoff said, uh, that they weren't sure that they were going to move to Los Angeles. What Kevin did tell me is that they knew they were either going to get a brand new stadium and a great deal in St. Louis, or if they didn't, they would have options. So he says that's what Stan was thinking. Plenty of people, I understand, don't believe that. I don't know. I just know that I was told that. But then again, as we know, Kevin Demoff said a number of things, and as it turned out, they weren't accurate. So understandably, the credibility factor there is uh, questionable, and that's being very, uh, very liberal with the use of the word questionable. So that discussion, in addition to uh, what Steve is looking to do with his career, I always find those conversations fascinating, and I hope you did as well. I welcome your feedback. Team McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Thank you, of course, to our sponsors, thehomeloanexpert.com. 
and the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency for their support of the podcast. And thank you to executive producer John Seymour and videographer Nick Yale for shooting and putting this all together. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.